Well, oh, you are. crap. We're talking about kicking that pig, and I didn't pull the uh, the video up yet. Oh, damn it. What is going on, everybody? Look at that. We were just talking about the hashtags that were up. And then uh, just let everybody know it's not a subliminal message of any kind. Uh, but uh, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to the I Tap That Cigar Show presented by Corona Cigar. As always, I'm your host, Kevin from Cigar Prop. And I'm coming to you live from the Drew Estate Experience Asset Studios here on the sunny Gulf Coast of Florida. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Care Viajante of Stogie Road Cigars. Good evening, Kevin. How are you? Not too bad. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, man. I, you, well, you I'm just when you tell you like, you're like, all right, just unleash. When you take a deep, li- live in the dream, live no, in the no dream. No need to. No need to. <laughs> so, and then join us uh, just moments ago. Producer Jessica just got home from work, so uh, um, she's not prepared to be on camera. So she is. She is in the uh, the uh, the back. Uh, um, where she always is producing. We're going to get her out here. Hopefully, you know, she gets off work in time on one of these shows. Cause yeah, this is, if I, you know, if I would have said that is like producer Jessica's in the back room. Cause she looks like a hot, sweaty, gross mess. We would have heard that. Damn it, Kevin. You know, but no, oh, she's you talk about it, a hot yeah. Yeah. Oh, you got talking about me. So hopefully next week, you know, uh, you know, so her, her laptop's open. So, but, um, she won't be joining us. So, um, Looking forward to that. Yes, looking That's forward. Uh, yeah, looking looking forward to getting her on camera. She's never on camera, so uh, this is her sure her seat. Them? Yeah, she's rarely rarely on oh, camera. Sure. Um, seats for the uh, water towers. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I, I've been trying to find other things to put from our <laughs> from our, from our Jessica. Yeah, is the water tower. You know, not not everybody produces. You know, like something like this J.C. Newman and the Yagua. You know, so, you know, I've reached out to a couple of our, our uh, uh, partners like, hey, you need something big like J.C. Newman, you know, to put on display other than the giant screen above me, you know, so it's I don't know. Sheep. Yeah. So care what's going on. It's been uh, it hasn't been a week. It's only been a few days since we've done a uh, since we've done a show. I know it seems like just yesterday. It does. It's, uh, it seems like yesterday, but it seems like it's been several weeks. It does. A lot it's going just- on, but uh a lot of things moving, shaking, popping. Bucka, bucka, so, uh, bucka, bucka. Yeah, it's uh, doing doing well. Doing well. Yeah. Anything? Uh, you had a birthday yesterday. I did have a birthday. Yes, uh, Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. How old are you? I am fifty three. Fifty three. God. Fuck. <laughs> you try to say, Kev. You try to say. Oh, it reminds me of the interview. Message behind that. I was like, bro. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Why are you asking? I why thought it was asking? gonna be like the the Don Cheadle interview, you know, with uh, you know, oh. asking about his age. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, God, damn. I'm like what? Yeah. Uh, what's oh this, Kevin, my God. Yeah. 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 Fifty three. So, 
Right on. I'll be uh, uh I'll be 46 in, a, in like two weeks. Really? God. Jessica, isn't God. it funny how he makes my birthday about him? But that's yeah. great. I'm glad, Kevin. Happy birthday. Welcome to, <laughs> Welcome to Jessica's world. So, uh, yeah, oh, you celebrated a birthday, Karen. Hey, I have a birthday too in two weeks. I'm gonna be 46. Can you believe yeah, it? I'm, I, yeah, I, I got a birthday, and I'm gonna be birthday. and I'm gonna be younger. I'm gonna be younger than you, Care. Care, what, you, what is on your why, why a bear? Is that um, is, is that the that's my Cuban history? Like, oh, I, okay, flag. I couldn't see like the little uh, uh the oh, crest. No. Yeah, this is yeah, this is I love this why a bear from why a bear clothing. This is a beautiful, I love it. Yeah, Joseph. Uh, uh, yeah, I miss him and his uh, and his wife. I haven't seen them in forever. Oh, they're fantastic and, uh, people. Yeah, um, love love the. I wore uh, my wire bear to the Corona Grand Opening, and uh, Jessica was shoving cigars and packs and cutters and lighters in all my pockets. Of and course like, she yeah, was. That's what yeah, it's there yeah, for. I, that's what it's there. That's why I love those wire bearers. Exactly. Know, so, so Manny, no Manny. Here's I actually got an Oak Island uh, Oak Island relic. It's this nickel. It's yeah, really just- it's a nickel. It was actually, you know what, the, but it was buried like 80 feet down. So that that proves time travel exists. So time yes. travel, Manny, time is, travel now, is now an Oak Island thing. What? Well, I need a uh, I need a cigar. I smoked a uh, I smoked a cigar today and then uh, I'm ready. This will be my first day in like weeks. I've smoked two huh? cigars. Actually, no, I didn't smoke a cigar today, didn't I? No, I haven't. Really? Oh, my God. I didn't smoke a cigar today. I was up in the I was up in the attic. Oh, I did smoke two last night. That's okay. it. I was up in the attic today, uh, running wire uh, for out uh, for the new workshop. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was a billion degrees. So um, I am going to uh, I am going to smoke one right now. So let's get into the smoking? cigar. I am smoking the Fuerte y Libra, and uh, this is like the first time I can't tell you in how long that I've smoked two Habano cigars like so close to each other. Like I, you know, this is, this is, uh, I, you know, I, you know, I, I hate, cause like I said, some people will say it's disrespectful, but you know, Espinosa, it's all about Habano, bro. Habano, Espinosa. Yeah. I would put this up there with any Espinosa Habano that okay. Eric ever made. I love this Habano. I and go back and forth with Habanos. You know that I'm not, we, a, we I'm, not a, I'm not a Habano guy. I don't go for it unless it's an Espinosa and I know it's going to be a good Habano because that's, that's what Eric's favorite yeah. thing is. So I generally don't grab it because you get it's it's hit and miss whether you get that 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 uh, sour Habano yep. and I don't get it with this one. So let's go with the uh, Cigar Medic Humidimeter cut and light. Remember with the Cigar Medic Humidimeter, you'll always know when to hold them and know when to smoke them. I'm smoking this one. I thought about that one too, but um, and then I couldn't read the band on it. Oh, sixty-two percent, perfect. What is yeah. that one? I don't so, know. I'm try- it's it was a little I'm, dark in here. And, I'm gonna um, ask. I'm gonna ask the, uh, the 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 guest when he comes out. Oh here. yeah, he, he he might he might know which one that is. He might he might know so, that is. Um, you're at what sixty-two percent? I was at sixty-two percent. Flawless uh, victory. Yeah, uh, perfect. Yep. That's sixty to sixty-four, sixty-five. No, you just can't get much better than that. No, no, I love it. That's my, that's, that's my big one. Um, I did get a chance to smoke uh, a cigar this weekend with both my sons. Yeah. We won't say how old they are, but. Uh, right. Yeah. It was, a, it, was, uh, it was a very, a very surreal moment. Very nice. Oh, that, what would you, what'd you guys smoke? Um, I smoked a gringo. Um, I can't remember what Joseph smoked. I think he smoked maybe Big Tony and then Wyatt had a. Uh, the Connecticut of the deconstructed edition on 35. Oh, so you all you smoked all your cigars. Cool. 
If I want to have a cigar with my son for the first time, it better be my cigar. Yeah, I, I awesome. Yeah, there aren't a, there aren't a lot of people like that can say that they smoke their own cigars with their sons, mm-hmm. you know, or daughters, daughters, you know. So, uh, Jess, uh, are you uh, are you smoking tonight? No, okay. All right, because uh, now she she just got home. Now she's got to go back and uh, and call work already. So place place goes to hell without her. Um. Yeah, what was I saying before? Oh, she's not she's not smoking because she smoked like five cigars today. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. yeah. and, and we get smoke all day. I yeah, I, I know, I know. She'll, she'll sometimes complain. Oh, it was a hard day. I'm like, oh, would you would you only get to smoke four cigars? So, um, all right. Um, <laughs> before we break, I know she already left. Now we're making fun of her. All right, before we bring on our guest tonight, we want to take a moment to thank all of our show partners for uh, for making this show happen each and every week. Uh, they do not influence what I ask or who we're going to have on the show. In case anybody was wondering, so thank you to J.C. Newman yeah. Cigars, Cigar Medics, Amendola Cigars. We are the muscle. Jake Wyatt Cigars, Illusione Cigars, deep in flavor, deep in your mind. K by Karen Burger Cigars. Corona Cigar, and of course, Drew Estate and Experience Acid. waiting patiently in the experience acid green room is greg free of fuerte e libra cigars but let's uh show a video of his fifth grade spelling bee before we have him come on um, and uh oh, uh let me uh, let me get this guy to your face here uh where is uh i got it Kev. you keep you got it okay yeah, yeah where where's jessica so uh there there you go greg welcome to the show how's it going Going good, going good. What's going on, Greg? You know, Greg is here tonight because of Jessica. It's, uh, you know, she has introduced me to so many great boutique cigar companies. And it's been like a couple of years since I think uh, Greg Greg and Jessica got together. And, you know, I think like some cigars showed up. And then Jessica, like cigars from boutique cigar companies were all like always showing up at the house. And then Jessica's bringing them home. She's like, I want you to try this. Someone sent me this. And I'm like damn it, I don't have time for a new cigar. And I always say that. And then some of them, some of them I don't like. Some of them she likes, I don't like. They just don't hit my palate. Some of them I'm like, oh my God, I love this. And she'd be like, ah, you know, same thing. There's not cigars for everybody. But I remember we smoked these cigars together for the first time, like I said, years ago. And we were both just fell in love with these cigars, you know? And so, and then here you are. Finally, a couple of years later, we finally got you on the show. Awesome. We're, we're, we've both been growing. A lot's been happening in those couple of years. 
It has for both of us and uh, um, all three of us. And then uh, let, let's we're going to start off because something you teased. We were in a group uh, um, herf a couple of weeks ago and uh, um, the, the, uh, you got a new name for the company. So uh, we're, we're going to start off before we start off with the new name of the company, um, the uh, the Fuerte y Libra. And then I didn't like and then you sent me this shirt and then on the back, it's got it's got like bull riding on it. And then I'm like the bull, but. I never even thought, I'm like, where did the bull come from? So we're going to start with the old logo and name. So the uh, so the old name is Fuerte Libre, which is strong and free. Um, and really, I was just trying to come up with uh, an English name that kind of said something about the country and strength and freedom just really made a lot of sense. The bull was chosen after that as just something that exemplified strength and freedom in America, just a bull standing alone in a field. So we went with the bull. Obviously, this was over a period of months coming up with the name, coming up with the logo back in 2013, 2014. Um, and the, the bull riding piece of it is, besides the fact that it's very strong and they roam free in the field by themselves, I rode uh, bulls in the local rodeo when I was a kid. I grew up on a horse farm, yeah. worked on a dairy farm. I was in the, the FFA and, you know, I... My dad had a couple businesses related to horses. He bought and sold horses. He was a horse trader, but not like the fancy horses, like trail horses, rodeo horses. So that's kind of where we got the name. And then we translated it to Spanish to pay homage to the culture, um, to Fuerte Libre. And then uh, I recently had a, a trademark opposition from uh, Fuente that the name was too similar. So I fought that for eight months, You know, fought the good fight, spent a whole bunch of money uh, for me as a small company, you know, trying to make a living. It, it cost a lot, but it was just, it meant so much to me. It had been around a long time. Uh, ultimately settled, uh, came to a, a settlement that we could both agree on. Uh, and part of that settlement has me changing the name to Fortaleza y Libre. So, and I wanted to keep an F word that also talked about strength. So Fortaleza is actually strength, not strong. Um, and Libre stays the same. My last name is free, Libre is free. So. I, I kept FYL, so a lot of my branding, even my website is FYL Cigars, because you know some people can't figure out how to spell Fortaleza or Fuerte, so it's just easier to have FYL Cigars, so I could still keep that. The bull stays the same. All the people that know the brand, are, they're not going to be confused when they go into the shop, because they go and they look for the bull, they look for their color. They're not even going to notice, quite honestly, that the word at the top of the bull is no longer Fuerte, it's now Fortaleza. So... So we're, we'll be changing the name gradually. We actually have five years to do it. We'll do it as quickly as we can. Holy crap, five years? Well, I wanted some time because I didn't want to have to throw anything out. Yeah. Right. And I'll, I'll do it as fast as I can. But, you know, I just ordered 20,000 bands for one particular line, and those will <laughs> last me a year. So, or maybe a year and a half. So, so I've got time. So as each line runs out, or as a piece of, uh, as like a swag item runs out, I'll order the new swag with the new logo and the new name. All of those things. I mean, there's there's hundreds of things with Fuerte y Libre. So it's going to be. It would have been very expensive to do it all at once. Uh, so part of that negotiation was, you know, being able to stretch it out. So I'll do a formal press announcement when I release the newest cigar um, that we're changing the name. But I'm just gradually introducing people to the idea that, yeah, it's going to be changed. Okay. Now, now, Fortaleza, did you say that uh, maybe I didn't hear? What, what does that mean, Fortaleza? It means strength. Oh, strength. Okay. So, and then, and then I never put two and two together until you were just talking a second ago that 
you know, it like live free. And then like your last name was free. And it's like, never, <laughs> I never put that together until you were just talking. I'm like, Oh my God, his last name's free. And it's like, mm. that makes, that makes sense. Now I just, uh, yeah, I'm, not I al- I, I'm not always there. I'm not always, I'm always there. You so, um, <laughs> So what about, um, um, have you secured like, uh, um, what about like social medias? You know, um, uh, I, I was, was that name available? Like you were able to, to, to get, or, or, you know, like, are you able to change your, I don't know how that works on Instagram. Yeah, you can change your Instagram and I, I will, I may change all of that stuff to FYL cigars. I haven't done it yet. Again, just this gradual kind of introduction to the name. Um, I'm not really concerned that someone's got Fortaleza y Libre, and you know if they do, I'll do FYL cigars. I mean, there's so many combinations you can use to make have it make sense. I just, you know, I won't lose my followers. I can just rename the one that I have. Okay, as long, I guess as long as it's uh, available. But yeah, what 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 are the odds somebody else has? You know, Fortaleza y Libre. You know, yeah, but five uh, people are five people are trying to register right now. Yeah, right, right now. <laughs> So uh, I, I know uh, uh, way, way back in the day um, when, when I used to have a beard care company before like Walmart started carrying product and Target and everything else, there was a few, I, you know, I was one of the, the big guys and uh, there was a few people that tried to, to, to get something really close to my name. And it's just like, come on, you know, it was Irish beard bomb. Like I'm the Irish beard, you know, you can't have anything else. So, but they were all dumb, so they never secured their uh, all their domains. So I would just, as soon as I saw one, I'd buy their domain, and then I would has have it go over to mine. You know, so you know they couldn't even have their own domain name. But uh, but yes. <laughs> so at least, at least that's sneaky, Kevin. I, it's it, it's it's business. If, if you if you want to try to infringe on my name, I'm getting mm-hmm. it real close. Like like nobody is looking at the bull and Fuerte y Libra and, you know, confusing it with, you know, I, you know, maybe, maybe there is somebody, I don't know. It's, I'm sure Carlito has a whole group of people that handle all that. And he, you know, it's probably not, he, you know, he probably doesn't even know anything about it. It's probably all his lawyers and his, and his people that, that do all that. Yeah. He, you know, he's got to trust his lawyers. He's paying a lot of money. And it's their job to police the trademark. It's part of the process. There's, I don't have any animosity look forward to shaking his hand one day and putting it behind us. You know, it's just lawyers and making lots of money. His lawyers, oh, yeah. lawyers, everybody makes money except, except Carlito and I. That, that's it. Like I said, the, the, the lawyers are, they make all of the money. It's like any manufacturing. Like there's, <laughs> there's nobody makes money selling anything, you know, like, like brand owners don't make a lot of money selling cigars. It's always the manufacturers the people that make tooling, people that make all that. Those are the ones that make all the money. You know, if you want to make a product and sell it, make make the thing that makes the product, and you'll be a very rich man. Yep. So, so Greg, I, I, let me ask you something because, and and if you don't want to answer it, I completely understand if it's too personal because I was in a similar situation. Um, I decided not to move forward with fighting a cease and desist. You know, actually, I got a cease and desist. What you said you spent a lot of money on fighting it. What made you want to fight it? Well, there are two, two primary things. One is I knew I could win. I knew if I took it to the end, I could win. The, the information I had, it, I, I was 90% sure I could win. So that was number one. Uh, I, I had no idea what it was going to cost or how creative uh, Fuente's attorneys would be at costing me money. Um, I mean, they just know how to play the game. I don't know how to play the game. I'm, you know, I've, I've never 
I didn't know anything about trademarks. It was the most expensive education I've had in my life was learning about trademarks. <laughs> and, and so I, I did it, and, I, and it, it was important to me. It, right. Because I had, I had come up with it so long ago, um, and just it just meant something. I mean, my last name is Free. You know, Strong and Free was, was important. That, that just this was, It was my baby. So, mm-hmm. so, so I fought it, and and you know, Fuente has opposed like the Alma Fuerte with Placencia, uh, and and Fuente offered me the same deal that they offered them, which is you can keep using it until such time as we think it creates consumer confusion, and then we're going to tell you you have to stop. And for a for a line of cigars for Placencia, that's not a big deal. Like they yeah. could just, you know, they could change that name in a second; it wouldn't matter to them. But as a brand name, I can't not have my brand name trademarked. Because that doesn't protect me in the right. Line. So I had to. It was a different fight, and yeah. So that's 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 I guess the big story of why I went forward. You know, and, and a lot of people don't understand when it comes to trademarks. You you do have to fight when someone is when, when when you when you feel that someone is infringing on your trademark. That's like a, that's a law. You you have to fight that. You know, or you can lose your trademark. So so I so I understand if if they thought that there was confusion or there could be they have a legal obligation to fight it or they you know because if they let one of them go they gotta let them all go you know but like you said you've been using it so long so we, we actually you know and I, I can't you know I, I know the specifics so i can't say anything you know but i got a friend of mine going through the same thing and he's fighting it because like you he'd been using it so long like like they they've known about it like like i'm you know he's not just like you you're not just some you know little guy that just came out You've been using it for quite a few years now, so if there was an issue now, there should have been an issue then. And so, yeah, you, you probably could have probably could have won. What? But like you said, at, at what cost? What would yeah. it have done to your? How many less cigars were you gonna be able to order? You know, maybe you couldn't come out that new line. You know, so. Yeah, and that's actually exactly what happened. I wasn't releasing a new line because I was waiting for the the trademark opposition to be settled. And I because if it was if I was going to have to change my name, I didn't want the new bands to be the old right. name and be stuck with them for much longer. So I waited. So like my new release has been in the aging room since January, assuming it would have been fixed at any moment. We ultimately didn't settle till May. Now we've got the band design settled, and we're waiting on the printing company to print those off for us. So it would probably be another three months before we get them in shops. Now, how many? Uh, um uh, how many words did you uh, go through uh, to get uh, to, to substitute for Fuerte? You know, um. I went through, a, I, I considered a lot of different stuff. I mean, I like the FYL idea, keeping that the same since I have yeah. that site, FYL Cigars. That's my email address. Um, so there's not very many F words that made sense. Um, and honestly, I hadn't thought of Fortaleza until I was at PCA. Uh, and uh, actually, Gabby Caffey came up to me and said, Have you? I was talking to him about this whole trying to keep FOL, and he's like, why aren't you using Fortaleza? I'm like, what does that mean? And he said, strength. <laughs> it was just kind of this last minute, oh, my God. You know, it kind of clicked off because I had already had my attorneys looking up other names, you know, doing trademark searches to see yeah. if available. <laughs> and the last thing I wanted to do was call it FYL because I thought there were, there's just so many three-letter names right now. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to fall into that box. Exactly. And, and there's a lot of three letter, and a lot of two letter. And then there's, you know, which I won't bring them up. There, there's a couple of two letters. There's like 
like four companies using the same two letters and it's just like hey somebody should change theirs you know it's like it's it's, <laughs> it's really it's really confusing on on in which i'm not gonna say because one of them's a friend of ours but yeah it's um but yeah i, I you know fyl i mean i do i, I do like the for- fortaleza you know so it kind of it kind of rolls off it makes me feel fancy when i say it you know yeah, so yeah. Yeah, I, th- I thought you were just keeping the FY just as the F F F Y, you know, F U, you know. <laughs> so that was, uh, you know. <laughs> I, had, so. I hadn't thought of that, but that's yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So all right, so we, we've we've got what's going on currently. So the north, so we're going to work backwards this this time around um, versus starting off with your history. You don't mind if we bring up your history? I don't know what to ask anymore. What, what someone's going to yell at me at the next day? Time, um, time, time. Yeah, exactly. Based, based on what you said in the green room, I'm a little upset already. Yeah, that's it. I didn't really kick the pig. It's a phrase. I'm sorry. You know, so and actually, I think it made it on the show as well. So uh, but whatever it, it, it is what it is so um i know like so it's uh, uh you hear some manufacturers and it's just like you know they they tell the same like origin story over and over again and they're like oh it gets old but i'm like i love hearing it i love i i love hearing a story you know so um how did all of this you know get to you know before we get to how all of this started how did you get into cigars um like father grandfather aunts uncles there's always someone that gets somebody into cigars. Yeah, so, so if you go back really deep, when I was a kid, I'd stay at my grandparents' house in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Williamsport, PA. And my grandfather and grandmother slept in separate rooms. My grandfather slept in the basement on a pull-out sofa. My sister slept with my grandmother. And everyone thought it was horrible. I had to go in the basement and sleep on a pull-out sofa. But he would stay up until midnight when the, when the yellow or the rainbow bars came on the TV and the channel finally ended. And he'd sit there and drink beer and smoke cigars. So, so I'm, you know, here I am, you know, six years old, and my grandfather makes me smoking a cigar. Greatest freaking thing in the world, right? <laughs> That's the way back beginning. But I didn't pick up – I picked up pipes at 18, smoked them for like a year and a half because my dad smoked a pipe, loved the way they smelled. But when you're smoking them, you don't smell that. That's a total – and so I kind of <laughs> fell off of that quickly. It, it is weird. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And then when I uh, – in 1992, I bought a house in Frederick, Maryland, and it was a new a new neighborhood that was built around a protected wetlands. I'm like, oh, this is really cool, you know, protected wetlands. That's probably beautiful. Well, it turned out it's just a swamp, and there's like mosquitoes everywhere all summer long. <laughs> so I would I would never go outside. My neighbor, who I got to know, Mark Farley is his name, and and uh, he would he came over one day. He's like, how come you're never outside? Like you got a hot tub out there, you got a big patio, you got a garden. You're never out there. Except when you're mowing the lawn, I'm like, these mosquitoes are freaking killing me. And he said, you should smoke a cigar. I'm like, why would I do that? And he said, they'll keep the mosquitoes away. So he gave me a Baccarat Corona, which is what he smoked. And for three years, all I smoked was Baccarats. Whenever him and I would hang out outside and, you know, fend off the mosquitoes with these Baccarat cigars, I had no idea how deep the industry was. I had no idea what the variety of cigar had never been in a cigar shop and then one week he went on vacation after three years i mean how rude of him he didn't leave me when he left. <laughs> i wanted to sit out in my hot tub and I, so i had to go to the cigar store so i went to uh davida cigars in frederick maryland and picked up uh, a bunch of a bunch of cigars because i walked in that humidor and my mind was just blown like i couldn't believe oh I, yeah i didn't know what to do and it was a so- great work in the counter can't remember his name this is 1993 actually 1995 at this point. Wow. uh, He, uh, he, I told him what I had been smoking all this time. And he said, well, let me give you like five. 
to try that are kind of in that wheelhouse. None of them had a sugar dip tip. I was a little disappointed. (laughs) You returned them. There's something wrong. (laughs) Exactly. These aren't sweet. What is happening? So gradually, you know, started building my palate over time. So that's kind of where I started smoking cigars. So, so you, you never went to a, you never went and bought your own Baccarat. You just, you, you, you just bummed off your neighbor for three years. Yeah. That's, I'm that kind of friend, apparently. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Well, we, we got a, um, an elderly couple across the street and their, their son is down, uh, uh taking, uh, taking care of them. And, uh, he comes over, we, we trade cigars. It was, well, he's just started bringing cigars over. Cause I kept just handing him cigars. Like, you know, he's kind of figuring out his palate and everything else and i just be giving scars so he, every now and then he'll bring a couple over and he goes have you ever had these and i'm like oh yeah you know it's like you know, try to bring over a couple of rockies and i'm like oh yeah you know i have like uh, like a hundred of them in there you know he's like damn it so he's always like do you have you had these have you had these so uh he did bring me over some vintage mombacho uh, a couple weeks oh, nice. ago oh my god just absolutely loved them are you are you so, still in frederick greg yeah. no i'm actually i moved to virginia in 98 Okay. Yeah, I was working for a company in Fairfax, Virginia, driving, making that commute, which is a very long commute. If you're not familiar with the area, it's about it started as about an hour each way, and it turned yeah, it's a hike. Two hours each way, or it's a two hour commute. So I so I was working in Fairfax, bought a house in Centerville, and then six months later, my company offered me a promotion, but I had to go to Bethesda, which is across the river again. Yeah. So I wound up doing that commute the opposite direction for five years more, and uh, but I but I've been here ever since in Virginia. Have you been to Quartermasters? To in, in, in Frederick, Quartermasters were they around when you were there? No, they were not around then. But I have stopped by there since. I stopped okay. by there probably a year ago. I like the diner that sits right in front of there too. Mm-hmm. So, so do you, do you remember um, um, like some of the cigars you were smoking? You know, you go in this lounge for the first time. To, I mean, well, so what happens when your neighbor comes back? Now you've got different <laughs> different cigars. So yeah, what what happened there? So then I'm buying it now. Now I spent three years buying him cigars. Oh, okay. I, you know, so then he'd come over and I'd be like, here, you know, try these. These are really good. And so I kind of opened up his palate because he had been, you know, he's one of the, he's my perfect customer. You know, the guy that only smokes your cigars. That's it. Um, I'm not my own perfect customer. I like all kind. I like to smoke a different cigar from different manufacturers. When I'm in my lounge and I'm not wearing my, Forte Libre shirt out at, out at a cigar lounge. I'll smoke all of the other stuff. I call it research and I write it off, but <laughs> I love smoking like all of those other, there's so much good stuff out there. You know, I don't want to miss it. So yeah, I would buy him cigars and he, and he opened up his palate and we got to the point where we were smoking stuff that's kind of in the medium range uh, when I was still there in Frederick. And uh, I think I remember the Carlos Tarano signature might've been one that I got stuck on for a little bit. And then I was smoking uh it's an F brand. It's got an F on the label. Big F. Fonseca. Fonseca, yeah. Fonseca. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard anybody say that name in a, in a while. Are they, are they still around? I they were bought by somebody. Yeah. Oh, were they? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, Smoke Fonseca's. I actually had my mom got me a lighter and had the F engraved on there. And, you know, it was like that was my thing. And then I started going to Stronger Cigars and I smoked Perdomo Habano Maduros for a long time and I got into Gordos and smoked Gordos for three years and I just went through all the phases that I think a lot of us go through that's just looking to expand the experience Mm -hmm. and so my my palate is is broad you know I've got a lot of I'll smoke anything 
That, that's good. Uh, we got a uh, um, uh, someone on Twitch. You guys open for a question? As long as it's a cigar-related question, yes, we are. Um, sometimes Twitch uh, don't try and sell me anything. Um, so yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want. I don't want to buy any new subscribers. So yeah, as long as you have a cigar question, definitely type it into the uh, to, to the chat panel. Okay, man. Does Greg watch Oak Island or believe in aliens? That's our, that's our re- resident expert. Yeah, I have watched Oak Island, um, but I just can't get into it. I, and I'll, I've watched like three or four episodes in a row, but nothing happens. It's just always like we're going to do this and this is going to happen. We're going to see this. And it's kind of interesting to me, but I, I do believe in aliens. Absolutely. All right. On. Well, if you saw three episodes of Oak Island, you've, you've seen, seen all the episodes. You've seen them all. There is there's yeah. not any reason to watch past them three, Greg, because uh, it's, it's, it's an it's island. Season, it's yeah. a hole and they're digging it. it it's season yeah. 20 and they still they haven't picked up where you left off, Greg. Um, so uh, <laughs> yeah, they found a piece of wood at the bottom of a well. And yeah. uh, yep. once they found that piece of wood, I was like, all right, they found it. They're, we're good. Yeah. That's it. They're still talking about that wood, yeah. um, and that and that that that's it. That button. So um, so so you're smoking all of these cigars, um, and where does you know? So so is it your neighbor? You guys are talking, and he you know because it's always around like usually when it's ever people up north, it's always a group of guys around a campfire, and they're like, we should start a cigar company. So what is a what is your I should start a cigar company uh, a moment. So my uh, my ex-wife uh, recently recently divorced, but was married at the time. And we I was sitting in my garage smoking a cigar. It was January. It was 20 degrees outside. I had a heater in front of me, a coat on, uh, and I was just sitting there smoking a cigar between two cars. And she came out and she would smoke a cigarette when I smoked a cigar. So she brought out two cigarettes and just halfway through the first one, and she's shivering. She's like, "What the hell are you doing out here? Like, this is ridiculous." And I'm like, "I'm just enjoying my cigar." And she's well. You're not even listening to music. Like, what are you thinking about? I'm like, I'm just thinking about this cigar. And and she said, what are you ever going to do with your passion for cigars? This is crazy. And I said, well, you know, I've always thought about starting a brand. And she said, great. What have you done to that end? And I said, I've always thought about starting a brand. And she (laughs) said, that's not a very good fucking plan. (laughs) And she... uh, she was, she was really good with her words. So she uh, lit her second cigarette. She finished it. At the end of it, she said, tomorrow, I want you to set up a separate account, and we're going to put money in that account every two weeks. And so when you're ready to start your brand, you'll be capitalized because that'll be your, the number one failure point is not having capital. Yeah. So I, started, I did that. I'm a good listener. I opened up the, the account. It was a stock account. I was making really good money. At the end of 18 months, I had what I thought was a good pile of money to start a cigar company, having no idea what it was really going to cost. Uh, <laughs> I started, then I started doing the FDA regulations and uh, you know, figuring out what I needed to do to be my own importer, got my importer's license, and going through the process. That took, because I was working a full-time job, it took six years from 2013 to 2019 to get cigars in the country. I did it the most complicated way. I didn't know any better, and I was working a full-time job, and like a real full-time, like 60 hours a week. I was I was traveling a lot, working my ass off. So I didn't I didn't dedicate like full time to getting this company, and I was and the money was growing at the same time, so the capital was getting better, and um, and then ultimately, you know, got to the got cigars made and uh, and got them in the country. But it was a it was a process, and without the passion for it, I uh, I would have dropped it, you know, a long way through mm-hmm. that. 
process because I wasn't looking at it as a money-making thing. It was really just a passion project. Um, and I, but I followed it through and I had a lot of uh, really good supporters in the industry. That It's a very unique industry where 95% of the people in it will help you and answer any question you have. And my only problem was I didn't know the questions to ask. So yeah, that's I, always, that's always a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, and so, you know, I had Omar DeFrias from Fratello. I could ask him anything down to dollars and cents, like what he's paying for tobacco. And he would answer every question. But there were questions, you know, he assumed I knew more than I did. Um, and <laughs> I assumed I didn't know anything. And he would tell me what I needed to know. But it was him. It was uh, Sam Lechia from uh, Sam Lechia Tobacco. He helped me out in the beginning. Um, and then uh, Eric Espinosa, another big help to me. It's just just a lot of great people in the industry that helped me out. Some good guys there, yeah. Great, yeah, great yeah, guys. Just, yeah, just didn't know what to ask. So it took a while. There are things that I'm changing now to do things differently, um, just to save me time because I'm the face of the company. I've got to be on the road. I'm leaving tomorrow on a five-state, four-event tour. That's going to take some time and a lot of driving, but I, I can't do everything. So I'm trying to offload things at this point uh, so that I'm not tied down to you know being at the warehouse, shipping cigars, that sort of thing. The, the boring stuff. Um, we're getting back to this question here for, for a second. So I finally got a house after years of savings and a buddy of mine brought over a pack of cigars, a housewarming gift, Hamlet miniature cigars. I'm not familiar with the uh, Hamlet miniatures. Are these just bad cigars because it tastes like chewing asphalt? Uh, they're most likely they're not bad cigars because they're on the market. Uh, they're just you, they're just not in your palate. They're just not in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, so uh, um, you, you definitely want to head over to your local brick and mortar. Um, ask around your to your friends. Maybe hop on a, a a community chat and find out. You know if you you know if you have a good brick and mortar in your area, and hopefully they got a good tobacconist. And then just go in there and talk to them. You know, um, uh, a lot of times they're going to ask you certain questions. You know, do you how do you like your coffee? That's always a big one. You know, what do you like to to pair it with? You know, um, and they'll be able to set you up with, you know, like Greg, when, it, when he went into his first lounge, they gave him five cigars, <laughs> you know, and if you if you if a good tobacconist will give you five cigars varying in different strengths and tobaccos, you know, you're going to be able to figure out, you know, from there, like, hey, I really like this one. And then maybe you get five more and then you just mm -hmm. go from you, you just go from go from there. Um, yeah, that, you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, most shops have great tobacconists that are willing to help you besides uh, Davidus, where I'm you know, originally went in. When I moved to Virginia, I went to John B. Hayes and Fair Oaks Mall in Fairfax and, and the same thing. I said, here's what I'm smoking now. I really like I really liked the Ashton VSG at the time, but I couldn't afford to smoke it. You know, it couldn't be an everyday cigar for me. So I would I'd go in, I really like this one. What's like it? And that's what got me into the Tarano cigars. He's like, try this one. It's gonna be it's gonna be less expensive and, and you're you're it'll probably meet your palate. So and then, you know, you, you take the five out and you come back with the two bands that were your favorite. Hey, these are the two that I really like. You know, what else can I try? Mm -hmm. That's it. You know, and I try and tell people to keep a log book as well. You know, like like we have cigar journals that, that we sell. You can find them on Amazon. You can find them everywhere. Even like a little a lot of local brick and mortars have uh, cigar journals. And then you just kind of write down, you know, your, your tasting notes, even though, you know, like I said, it's just, you know, you may not get notes of this and that and this, but you know, a note of chewing asphalt is a is a tasting note. You know, yeah. I mean, that, that that might be indicative of the tobacco that's in there. So, you know, that local brick and mortar be like, OK, so, you know, maybe it's this tobacco in there. I'm going to give you something else that doesn't have that tobacco in it. 
you know, and like I say, you just keep, you keep going. Like say, Greg, so you come back and like, I like these two and then you get more, but, uh, uh, the advice smoking Ashton DSG, because nine out of 10 people that we have on this show, makers, brand owners, manufacturers, they all smoke Ashton DSG. Yeah. We, we, we hear that more times on this show while smoking an Ashton DSG. I'm like, I love the Ashton DSG. Great I, probably got, yeah. I, I probably got a dozen of them in my humidors. So it's always, uh, always a great, um, uh, a great cigar. Um, and then, uh, so taking it slow and steady is definitely, you know, a good thing. You know, like I said, I, I spent years doing this show and being in this industry before I decided to, to release a cigar. You mm-hmm. know, care was on the road hitting brick and mortar. How long were you doing that care before, before you, had, you had your show before you come out with yours? Did my show and did all the traveling for probably five years. Was it like four years before I came out with a cigar? It was several years. Yeah, you know, and then you kind of knew, you know, going into a lot of the stuff. You know, Greg, you you did all the, you did it, you, all the back end work before you got the cigar. A lot of people will come out with a cigar and then don't realize <laughs> what that back end work is. You know, the rules, regulations, the trademarks, the websites, the mm-hmm. the licenses. You know, it's just they're, then they're hit. You know, one thing after another, and then it's just you know, and then. You hear it and then they just fail, you know, because they didn't do their their research. So you definitely did it, you know, not the right or wrong way. You just did it your way and it and it and it, it worked out. Oh yeah. Um, but but you said you, you didn't you know you didn't know the questions that you didn't know to, to, to ask. How did you like did someone, you know, uh, uh, point you to uh, a factory? Did you go to multiple factories? Like how did that first cigar like what what was the first cigar that, that you came out with? So the first cigar was Bodacious, um, and it, it was released in a uh, Habano, Ecuadorian Habano, and an Ecuadorian Maduro wrapper, and it came in three Vitolas. So, and what I wanted in the very beginning was to have some shelf presence for the first line, you know. So that gives me six facings, which would give me some shelf presence. You know, in the end, in most shops really just want Toros. So it's uh, yeah. I have I still maintain those same rules in those lines. I actually got rid of the torpedoes at one point, and then I. I offered them to a shop that I was already in. I said, hey, you want to buy these off of me for 25% off? He, he's like, yeah, I haven't even tried your torpedoes. Let me see if they'll move. And he sold them all. And he's like, customers love them. They're fantastic. You need to bring these back. So then I brought them back. So, you know. It's not, not at the 25% that you still get that 25% <laughs> off? Yeah. No, no. They were paying more at that point. But, uh, yeah, so I brought them back. So that, that line was actually. So I'll go back to the kind of the nexus of the question, which was how to pick your factory. So I was going to be a Nicaraguan cigar company because all the new hot cigars, you know, this is 2018, 2017, were coming out of Nicaragua and still, and really still are. The majority of what's sold is coming out of that country. And uh, I planned, I planned a family vacation. So every year took, took our four kids to a different country so they could see the world. And we, I like, let's just take the whole family to Nicaragua. We'll we'll get a beach house, and then my oldest son and I will drive to Esteli and visit three factories. Well, this was uh, we were planning the trip in 2017 to go in June of 2018. In the spring of 2018, there was a big uprising, riots, yeah. in the streets, <laughs> people getting shot, airport getting shut down, and my wife is like, "We're not going to Nicaragua." <laughs> I'm like, "It's in June. They'll fix this. This is this always happens. It's not a big deal." Well, they didn't fix it. It's, it continued to get worse. So I wound up canceling the trip. And in the meantime, I'd already been working with a factory through a guy named uh, Henry Cruz, who I had met on uh, Cigar Cartel. 
and he had he had a he had a brand of cigars I'd never heard of, and he sent me some. So I I started asking him if his factory could work on blends for me. So I kind of already had this relationship. So I as soon as I canceled the family vacation, we just went on a cruise, and then when I got back, I went down to the DR to the factory to kind of formalize that relationship, see what else they could come up with. And they created. I didn't know anything about blending. <clears throat> I told them kind of what I was looking for, and they came up with twelve different blends. I brought wow. and uh, twelve friends of mine. We we smoked them over a period of three nights. Eleven out of twelve really liked the Habano wrapper on the core that became the Bodacious. I was the twelfth person. It wasn't my favorite out of the twelve, but it's not all <laughs> about me. You know, it's about the market, what people want to buy. <clears throat> so I then. That's when I decided to do a second wrapper that brought a little bit more sweetness and richness to it, so that Ecuadorian Maduro lifted it up on the Maduro side, and that's why we came out with the two wrappers. But we picked that factory for multiple reasons. So the <clears throat> they the big reason was they have a farm that has a familial relationship. So it's the the original two brothers that that had the factory and the farm. They they've now passed it on to their kids, but originally the deal was that the factory would buy all the tobacco the farm could produce and the farm wouldn't sell it to anybody else. And what that meant to me as a small brand and, and learning this from the small brands that I was talking to is having consistent tobacco. So all of my core tobacco is coming from that same 40 hectare farm. Um, and so it doesn't change over time. Same microclimate, same soil type, uh, same spot in the valley, same farming style, which is also just as important. You know, how they're rotating crops, what they're rotating with, how they're treating the soil. Uh, and so that was my big thing. My background is farming. I went to college for horticulture, so it really spoke to me walking those fields, and that's what tied me to the factory more than just the factory itself. Really small factory. Uh, we had oh, is that is it just him? Yeah. Okay. okay, you didn't move there for a second. I thought it was. I thought it was. Me. Oh yeah. So uh, should should have went. Yeah, just. Oh, are you back? Yeah, I'm here. So so basically, I didn't want to get in a lot of shops too fast because I wanted to maintain consistency. I know the worst thing for a new brand is to have construction issues. So we kept things moving slow. We're adding shops slowly. We're still under 100 shops, but we're growing. Just picked up our first shop in Alabama and Jasper, Alabama, that we're doing an event at uh, on Saturday. So gradually building it up. Now the, the factory owners are building a new factory, so we'll have more production space available. Oh, okay, uh, and things are things are going well. It's, it was good to slow roll it and and do it the way we did. You know, and 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 to think about you know th there are so many brand owners that that I talk to either on the show or you know um and uh, or personally, and that was one thing they never thought about or they had problems with was consistency. You know, of of just you know it, it, you know, when you have yeah. a brand, care you know you know it's uh I mean you you had some issues and you had to change factories. Yep. You know, it, it's that consistency will. That, that's what shuts people down. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you get a great cigar and it's like, oh, I'm going to go out and buy more. And I'm like, oh, this is a completely different cigar. And and then these brand owners that they just don't know, you know, it's That'll like, oh, I, I do you in a, in a shop, you know, when there's all the the the, um, the, the, the legacy brands in there and someone directs you to a, uh, a new boutique cigar that's yours, you got one shot. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like to the uh, the shop owner, you know, maybe maybe it's a okay, it was a fluke. That guy had a, a a bad experience, but then when the next guy says the same thing, and then maybe a third guy, you know, the brand owner's like, you know, the, the brick and mortar owner, like, no, this is, uh, you know, bad for his business. No, nobody, you yeah. know, nobody wants to listen to him. 
you know, next time a, a boutique comes out or something else, hey, you should try this. That guy would be like, oh, I remember what happened last time you told me to yeah. try this, you know, end up, uh, you know, not having a good experience. So, yeah, like you said, that, that'll torpedo you, you know, quickly. So, so were you still, were you still working? Were you still full time at, at this point? You know, of, uh, you know, you're going down to the factories, um, you know, trying all these out. Yeah. Still full time until, uh, two years ago, March. <clears throat> so two years ago, March, which is kind of at the end of COVID. So the timing was really good. I actually kept working full time for a year longer than I intended. Uh, just because COVID was happening, it's hard to get a new brand in the shop when people are calling in orders. They're not going to ask for you if they've ever heard of you. Uh, so eventually went full time. So I guess it's two and a half years now. All right. Uh, you're talking about you're talking about getting getting into the uh, uh, the shops. How, how were you? You know, like, uh, you know, cause, uh, we hear a lot of brand owners be like, you know, I have these cigars and I just think. I'm going to go in and everybody's going to buy my cigar. And then, uh, that, that it's going to, I'm going to be the next, you know, <laughs> look the whatever space on your shelves. Like yeah. Look at all the, it. yeah. Yeah. Look at all the space, you know, just how many, how many dozens of boxes would you like, sir? And then they're like, <laughs> get out, you know? So <laughs> how were you, I mean, how'd you go? Who was your first shop? How did you get in? So my first shop was my local shop. Uh, Brett Fry owns Tobacology. Oh, great shop hulking man with a big beard that everybody recognizes. He fills a room with his personality. Uh, and he he was my my retail side kind of mentor, you know, talking through what I needed to do brand-wise. And he was helping me years before I ever got cigars in the country. So he picked me up immediately. Uh, we've released all our cigars at Tobacology. At some point, you know, that'll change. We're getting in more shops we've got to do. We've done some event exclusives for other shops, but in terms of releases, he's been my guy because he was there in the very beginning. And he, without question, you know, brought me on, supported me, has, has you know, just been a great, a great mentor and guide from the retail perspective and also got the brand out there. So he was the first one, but the, but the rest of them were a lot more complicated. It, it's a tough business. You know, they... They, they own you, you know, they're the shop owners have all the control and you're a new brand and they've never heard of you. And so it's a relationship thing. You know, you've got to go back. You've got to, you've got to show them that you're going to be around for a while because a lot of brands are, you know, they're in and then they're out. You know, they, they do it because they think it's easy money. And the reality is I still haven't made a profit. So it's not easy money. It's, it's, it, if you're in it for the money, you're going to get out real fast. If you're in it because it's easy, you're going to get out real fast. Uh, and so shops know that they've, they've been burned a lot of times with new brands that just that just fall by the wayside. Their customers love the brand, but they, you know, they go out of business. So they're gone. So they're they're leery. They're gun shy. Uh, so unless you've really got a boutique friendly shop like Underground in Fort Worth, they only sell boutiques. And they they picked me up because, you know, if I had a bull in the label that's in Texas. I mean, it was perfect. Uh, and we've been selling there since the very beginning. So it's just. And then the more stores you get in, the easier it is. And then eventually, you know, you build a reputation and people call you. So I've had a couple shops now call me and they're carrying my cigars. So it's getting to a point where it's a little bit easier, but it's still a, it's a relationship business. You've got to be out there. Yeah. And I, and I wish mm -hmm. all of you manufacturer, all you brand owners would stop coming on this show and telling me you've been doing this for five years and you haven't made any money yet. It's very disheartening. <laughs> um, hold on, hold on a second. Jessica's got... I ordered a bunch of stuff from them. Yeah. And they didn't have some, and they called me personally, which is great customer service. And then they were naming off his cigars. 
Oh. And I was like, yeah, I totally like those cigars. Yeah, you can send it. So they sent me a whole bunch of different ones. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, um, uh, I would love to visit Underground. Everybody talks about Underground yeah. being such a... Yeah, I've heard Jessica mention that a couple times, you know, uh, and, and and like I said, we're, you know, we're we're brand owners ourselves. We have thousands of cigars. We still we still buy from other other shops. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I love finding those those great shops, that great customer service. Um, we had a, a question. If you could go back in a CWB 80, if you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice starting up in the cigar industry, what would it be? Um, don't become your own importer of license. What, what do you what, what what do you mean by that? As her, so so I so I have a tobacco importer's license, so I'm the importer of record. Um, yeah, actually, the paperwork that's involved with that on a monthly basis to three different federal agencies on three different forums, and it's all the same crap, and they question every single one I send. Like I can, I can have someone else be my importer and and pay them ten cents mm-hmm. to take that off my plate. I should have done that a long time ago. So that's I'm in the process now of picking you know, a distributing company. So get the distribution off my lap, get the tobacco importer part. It sounded like a lot of money back in the day, but when you think about the time it do, that's the thing about this is I, I need to be selling cigars. I don't need to be filling out forms for the FDA and for the tobacco tax bureau and for sending in customs forms and, and, and dealing with a, a uh, customs broker. Like, all that stuff is just, it takes too much time for the money I could pay someone else to do it. So I would have done that far sooner. That's my number one piece of advice. Don't be your own tobacco importer. Don't get the license. Have someone else handle it. Yeah, I looked at that. I looked into that uh, that avenue early on, and I think I lasted about 15 minutes. And I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> think- yeah. Oh, oh, exactly. I mean, I, just, I mean, the, the FD, I mean, you were, and you were starting your company you know, when the FDA was really, I mean, it was back then, I mean, there was a lot of questions on, on, you know, whether, you know, I mean, back then, I mean, whether any, you know, you're going to be able to, you know, have a company without being grandfathered or, you know, the, uh, the stupid labels on the box. I remember I saw one of those, actually my local brick and mortar started getting in the, uh, the warning labels that they had to put on the counter and you had to like, you had to, um, I couldn't remember, did you have to like switch through them or something? You know, you, you know, I had to put one. I don't, I don't remember that whole thing. I, I remember it intimately because I went through the whole process. It took me two weeks of working a full-time job and you had to create, you had to show them the boxes. You had to show where the stickers would go on the boxes. They had to cover a certain percentage of the box. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah a, you had to send them a distribution plan to show that when you sent an order to California, that you have a plan that the boxes sent will represent all of the different possible cancer warnings. And so I, so I, I didn't have any boxes or cigars at that time. So I spent two weeks building this plan, creating these mock boxes, putting this, putting these mock stickers on, putting it all together, creating a plan. I'd never shipped cigars before. I didn't even know what the plan, I'm, all of this is trash. And then the very next day there was an injunction. After the, I sent it in, the, I was so the very mad. next, the very next day, very next day. So I spent oh time doing it, and then the very next, and that's just one example of 15 rules that there were injunctions filed against that I went through the hoops and then found that I didn't have to do it. And then being local to DC, I mean, I'm I, I my representatives all the time. I'm I'm down, and I worked in government contracting. I'm downtown, you know, at at Congress, at the Senate, talking to my reps, 
And I, I got the sense that this was all going to be thrown out like it ultimately was just a month ago. So I, I was like, man, why are we even doing these things if they're ultimately going to exempt premium cigars? And everyone in the House and Senate were talking about exempting premium cigars. It was, it was the word. But it just took so long to happen. Yeah. So I finally did. And now, you know, we're back to premium cigars aren't even a part of that uh, Childhood Tobacco Protection Act at all. They're not a part of it at all. All those rules like uh, handing cigars out and you know, free cigars to charities, all that stuff, the pre-market regulation, the pre-market uh, authorizations, uh, all, everything, gone. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's wonderful. Oh, exactly. And, and, and Kara, I mean, I remember you, you remember the stick man, you know, uh, mm-hmm. um, I was on, I was on his show as, as a co-host for a while, way, way back in the day, five years ago, six years ago, whatever it was. Um, and then I remember that one of the questions, cause it was, a <clears throat> he had a panel of people on and he had asked, cause it, uh, FDA was going through a lot of stuff and they go in five years, where do you see the cigar industry? And everybody on the, on the panel is like, Oh, oh it's going to be, it's only going to be the big guys. It's going to be this and that. And they got to me and I'm like, yeah, no change. It's going to be just like it is now. None of this is going to go through. And they're like, you're insane. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I'm just a new, you know, maybe, maybe I don't know. And I wish I, you know, his, his shows were still on somewhere. I'd love to be able to screenshot that. Like, see, I told everybody you had nothing, <laughs> nothing to, to worry about. So let's, uh, let's, uh, put this question up. So our cigars are rich man's game because I do security work and I was doing a job for a cigar company one time and the thing was worth something like a million dollars or something ridiculous like that. Just hope the guy liked it better than my tin of Hamlets. It is not a rich man's game. Um, I mean, how many you guys, you know, um, the foundation charter Oak line, Nick Melillo, you know, $5 and 50 cents, depending on taxes, where you live, you know, it's not a rich man game. Uh, um, Greg, what are the, what are the price points of, uh, of your cigars? So I just had my first increase in four years. I wanted to keep us competitive. I could everyone else is raising their prices every year so i went up 10 percent for the minute that was my first increase ever one 10 percent across the board and now i'm in the the cheapest cigar is probably in the nine dollar range and that's the sun country corona and the most expensive is the midnight bender gordo and that's probably 14 but it depends on what state you're in what the otp tax is yeah have an msrp you know I yeah, no. do whatever they want to do yeah now now care what, what about you what's like your price range um, eight ninety nine for the robustos, um, nine ninety nine for Torres, and eleven ninety nine for Lanceros. Yeah, I mean that that seems to be the industry average. That between eight, you know, now it's been creeping up. You know, it used to be, you know, that seven dollar, you know, was kind of like the norm. Eight dollars. Now it seems to be like that ten, twelve dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, that seems to be about the uh, about the norm. But uh, but you can buy J C Newman quorums if you um you know and I, I like a quorum every now and then it's like a two dollar cigar two dollars and twenty five cent cigar you know uh, Drew Estate has their factory smokes you can get those for a dollar twenty five you know that I mean they're just they're cigars you know they're long and brown and they have tobacco in them are they uh, are they the, the the greatest cigars no but you know you can smoke one of those and then smoke a couple of uh you know you know, eight, nine, $10 cigars. Yeah. So it's, it's def- definitely not a, a rich man's game. I feel like there are cigars to fit all budgets, smoke what you can, yeah. not what everyone tells you to smoke. That's it. You know, yeah. I mean, it's that there, there are definitely cigars that, that fit everybody's budget. You know, I've got friends, like I said, they buy bundles of quorums and for every bundle of quorums they smoke, they may only smoke one or two, 10 or $12 cigars. Cause that's well, what's in their budget. 
you remember we did the blind the blind five with me <clears throat> and Jessica and the, yeah. the cigar that uh, scored one of the highest on your on your ratings as a uh, what was it the uh, oh gosh I think Agador Salif makes it the Casa Cuba or yeah I think I think it maybe it was that Casa Cuba it was like three dollar cigar yeah you know um I remember doing uh, when I when I cigar. when I was doing cigar reviews way back early on. Um, <clears throat> Someone had sent me two cigars that were unbanded, uh, and I didn't know what they were until I smoked them. I reviewed them, and then I opened up the envelope, and it was a uh, it was a real Cuban cigar, and then it was a six dollar San Cristobal, and it blew that Cuban out of the water. You know, and that was like a forty dollar Cuban versus a whatever it was six seven dollar San Cristobal. You know, so I I, I love that cigar. So yeah. You know, there, there's definitely cigars for for every every budget out there. Um, let's let's go over your budget. You, you you talked about your 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 uh, uh, the different cigars that, that you have. So let's uh, let's I I got the list of cigars here from your website. You really like Habano. Um, it's uh so we'll uh, so we'll, we'll 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 start off with the uh, uh, the bodacious like you said earlier. You got the Habano and the Maduro. Um, now the, the one thing uh, um, which I didn't know are are these offered? Look like they all have one Vitola. Or they're multiple because I didn't see that on the website. Yeah, so it depends on which line it is. So uh, the the bodacious we came out with three vitolas. So there was a robusto, a toro, and a torpedo. Yep. Um, no, 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 that's not true. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, robusto, to, uh, torpedo, and toro. And then the bushwhacker, which was the second line, also had an Ecuadorian habano on the one side, but on the dark side it was Mexican San Andreas instead of Ecuadorian Maduro. That was also three Vitolas, but they were a Torpedo, a Toro, and a Grand Reserva, which was a 54 by 6. Just trying to get a little bit bigger ring gauge in there. Uh, and then the next line, the Midnight Vendor, when it was first released, came out in just a Toro. So in the beginning, I just wanted shelf presence. And then I started, the Midnight Vendor was the first one that I blended myself. And that cigar, I just wanted to pick the Vitola where the blend spoke the loudest, where I felt like it really fit. And, and we released that in a, a, a 52 by 6 Toro. But recently, I guess two years, well, almost two years ago, a year and a half ago, we released that in a Gordo because there's a lot of shops that like Gordos. And, you know, I told you I smoked those Gordos for three years and I stopped. So I figured everyone else had because, you know, the world revolves around me apparently. And <laughs> I, I didn't produce any, but all these shops are like, man, you got to get a Gordo. So I did the Midnight Bender in a Gordo. It sells really well in the Gordo. So now that's got two Vitolas. Sun Country was released just in a Toro, and then uh, I really wanted to do, to do a Corona, so I tested a Corona in all my existing blends, and the Sun Country is where the Corona worked the best. So the, the Sun Country Corona is actually a little bit stronger than the Toro, and I left it that way. I didn't uh, adjust the blend to make it exactly the same. It's got a little bit more uh, body to it, because it's a full-body core with a mild wrapper. And the wrapper holds a little bit less influence in that model, so it got stronger. And it really is delicious in the Corona. And then the Avalanche, I'm sorry, the Segundo Viento was next. We didn't set out to create a box press. That's the one that uh, Kara is smoking. Oh, okay. But when we did our, our Vitola test on the blend, it really worked well in the box press. I thought it tasted the best in the box press. So we came out with a Robusto and a Toro from the start. Uh, and that's the only 10-count box that we have is uh, in the Segundo. Doviento, which is second wind. It was our second anniversary cigar. And then the Avalanche was released in a Robusto and a Skinny Toro, so a 50 by 6 instead of the 52 we had been running because the 50 just worked better. 
Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so that was the last release. And then the new release that's coming out in three months, uh, <laughs> the Intimidator, it's going to be our closest to a true full. And that's going to be in a Corona and a Skinny Toro. And I'm smoking the Skinny Toro right now. What I'm smoking so is fantastic. This, this Ecuadorian uh, Habano. Mm-hmm. So do, how, how are the Corona? I, I feel like the last like two years, you know, or maybe a year, Corona and Lonsdale have just really been taking off, you know, versus the Gordo. The Gordo has been king for like four years now. And, you know, I don't think anything's ever going to topple the Gordo. Um, but how, how's your how's your Corona doing? The Corona is doing very well. And the Sun Country is just it's our most complex blend. It's our number one selling blend. So when it came out in the Corona, it's great in a colder climate or a hotter climate, you know, where you, you don't have a lounge in your house and you got to be outside for a period of time. A Corona is nice because you're not out there that long. It still doesn't sell as much as the Toro, but it's a, a really good seller. And and honestly, the Corona and the, the new Intimidator, it to me, it, it's just a greater expression of the blend. It just works really well. Uh, and the Intimidator's got a San Andreas wrapper, so that wrapper just gets more influence. Um, and it, it just works really well. So that's why it's coming out in that skinnier, a skinnier Toro because the smaller ring gauge in that blend works better. Mm. And the Corona, the same size as the Sun Country, a 44 by five and a quarter. Now, now you, you had said uh, on this on this box press, the one that Kara is smoking, that um, that blend just seemed to work better in uh, in that box press. Um, on all of your blends, do you do you sample them in in different? Different Vitolas, are, are they making you in a, you know, or, or are you asking for, you know, maybe a couple of them or there, or do you get a box press in all of them, a torpedo in all of them? Usually, yeah. So the first thing we do is we, first of all, most, most old school factories like legacy brands and the older blenders, they test everything in the Corona. That's supposed to be the ideal size. I didn't know any better. So I started testing my blends in a six by 50. And I still do that because I kind of understand how the blends operate going up and down in that Parejo uh, up and down a ring gauge. So I'll, I'll start going up and down a ring gauge. So once I settle on a blend, like I, I kind of know what's going to happen when we go up and down. But then we'll go up and down. Just We'll just usually do one up and one down and just kind of see how the blend works. Uh, and then we'll start trying different patrols. We'll start trying a Torpedo or a Bellicoso or a Box Press to see how that blend operates in those different Vitolas. And, the, and then the, the blend really tells me kind of what we're gonna release it in. Uh, you know, with the Intimidator that's coming out in, those, in the Skinny Toro and the Corona, we tested it in 15 different iterations. And it was the blend itself that guided me to stick with the Parejo. I knew I wanted to come out with the Corona. That one was the one that really spoke to me. And I wanted a Toro because most shops Honestly, they just buy all your Toros. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a I'm a Toro guy. Um, like I said, my cigars are all Toros. Um, uh, I mean, I, I like Bellicoso, but uh, the, uh, the the consumer they they like they like Toros. You know, they just seems like the biggest, the most bang for your buck. And then and, and but I've heard other manufacturers say that because, like you said, it was Corona or Lonsdale. You know, is like to, is what they would start with. But now they're saying the same thing you are. We start with a Toro and it's kind of easier to go up and then it's kind of easier to go down versus if you start with a Corona, a Lonsdale or, you know, a Lancero, you know, then it's hard to, you know, sometimes hard to go up to a, you know, a Gordo from a from a Corona. And, um, 
And speaking of Lonsdale, uh, or not Lonsdale, Lancero, do you, do you have, have you done Lancero? Care, Care's Lancero King. Yeah, I tell you, I really want to do a Lancero. It's not a big part of the market, but the people that love them are just rabid about it. Yeah. Uh, so I've been been working on a Lancero and the Midnight Bender blend, but I'm honestly having uh, burnability issues. Not construction, I've got good draw, but because that San Andres wrapper is just a little bit oilier and thicker, it's and we're using a Dominican binder under it, it's hard to get a Dominican binder burning hot enough in the Lancero to keep the burn consistency. So now I've got some that have been aging for almost a year, hoping that the aging will balance that out enough to get me the burnability. Uh, so I'd like to do that. We are going to do a Lonsdale that's an event exclusive stick. That blend has already been settled on, so we'll release that probably in the late spring, early summer. Uh, that Lonsdale will come out, and it'll, it'll be just available on a Lonsdale. I wanted it to be a, a Vitola that we don't currently have, and it'll be available just to shops that host events. So they'll be able to buy it after that, but yeah. the first place they'll be able to get it is actually at an event. All right, so so you didn't try the Lancero, and why would you pick that one versus trying a Lancero in everything? Um, that's the one that I really thought it would work well in, just because the wrapper is delicious, in my opinion. And it's and you're, you're going to get the mo- the most flavor, obviously, out of the Lancero on that wrapper. Yeah, it's just a heavier wrapper influence in that Vitola. So I I just thought that the the San Andreas that we have is is old. Uh, we've had it for a while. We bought a lot of it when we started the Midnight Bender, so it's what we've got is now about five years old um so it's it's just a it's delicious it's really toothy got a lot of good texture to it but the flavor is really there it's it's i believe it's in its prime so that's kind of what i want to go with but so so how many so you've got you've got that one been aging for almost a year now you know you know do you have enough of them you know so you know i look at you know i'm like okay so it's been aging for a year now it's perfect, but you only have a hundred of them to test, or you have a thousand of them and it's still not good or not still, you're still having issues after a year. And it's just like, okay, we got to trash all of these versus, okay, now it's perfect. And now we can start producing them and waiting another year. Yeah. So in, when we're, because I knew I had burnability issues already, we're not doing large quantities in that. So it'll be a while. Like if we finally settled on, like that's working with the age, then it would be another year before we would release it just because we're going to, we're going to wait the same amount of time. We're going to make it work. So yeah, you got to find that special week. sauce, you know, you got to find that right timing and that sweet spot and then go from there. Yeah. yeah and, and, and like release, you said, you, Oh no, go ahead. I don't want to release something you got to sit on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're, oh yeah. Not, not like a Cuban. These are great. You're going to want to buy these, hold on to these for about three years and then smoke them. Perfect. You know, it'll, it's going to be perfect, you know, or, you know, uh, there are manufacturers that, that, that will release a scar and it's usually a boutique, you know, uh, guys and, and nothing wrong with that. You know, those like, you know, you're going to want to, you know, hang on to these for like six months. It's like, why don't you just wait, just release them when they're ready. You know, and I know money's a big issue. You know, it's like, I, I got to release these. I got to get the, the money of you know, the money back out of this. And, and like I said, you know, like you said, you know, Lancero is not a huge part of the market. So you only get one chance. What like Lancero guys are few and far between. If they smoke one and it's not good, they're, they're not, you know, they're not coming back for another yeah. Lancero. Yeah, they're going to they're going to move on. So you got it's a very strategic move with Lanceros. Like you said, there's, it's not a when you get when you get shops that like Lanceros and if you have a good Lancero, it'll sell. But it's not. It's, but it'll sit on shelves in other cigar shops that just don't do well with Lanceros. 
Yep. Yeah, and you got to count on the on the shop owner to to know their clientele. I don't right. push cigars on anyone. I'm not a pushy salesperson because I don't want to I don't want to fight to get my cigars in the shop if the guy that's working the register, whether he's the owner or the humidor manager, whoever it is that's working the register, if they don't like my cigars, they're not going to sell. It doesn't do me any good to push you to to buy my cigars if you don't personally like them. Yep. And and everyone's not going to like every one of my cigars, you know, and, and I'm fine with that because everyone's got a different palate. They're all looking for a different thing. So they've just got to be in shops. If, if I'm in a shop where the owner loves my cigar, they're going to sell like crazy. And, and so that's what I, that's what I look for is, you know, you know, putting out good cigars, no construction issues, um, good burnability, great flavor. But in the end, you know, we're all just burning leaves. Yeah. It's all the same thing. We're smoking a salad. I was just, I just, I was chatting with Kevin about that recently uh, about a local shop, and I, I gave Kevin a situation, and he's like, you know, you know what's going on. You just gotta step away because if it's, if it's that much of a of a of a uphill battle and a back and forth to get it in the humidor, once it's in the humidor, they're not gonna they're not gonna fight for it. They're not gonna drag people in that in, in, to, to your cigar. So I'd rather keep that inventory for the several shops locally that 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 you know carry my stuff then try and open up a new shop yep yeah it oh, doesn't, yeah it doesn't exactly it, it it doesn't at all no nope. um, let, let's get back to the uh, uh the uh, the midnight bender um you said you blended that one yourself so so how far so where which which cigar like uh, um was that like your second release, third, fourth? I mean, what, what was that? So where were you at in like your journey to where like you we were like, okay, I want to try this myself. So it was the third release. Um, and, you know, I, I want to be clear. So this is, so I told them exactly what I wanted in terms of what I wanted a double a hero. I wanted Dominican filler. I wanted Dominican binder and I wanted to use the San Andreas wrapper. So, so that's my blend. I'm not the guy sitting at the table as the master blender who's, combining those leaves and proportions to make it all perfect for me in that in that first iteration. But I'll tell you, I'm working with a Dominican factory that did not like that idea for that cigar. So I actually had to convince them that I understood the American market and that it would sell because they only sold cigars just for the Dominican market, had never made an American branded cigar. Oh, really? And, you know, what we liked here. So they, they were they basically said I was an idiot. It would never sell. It was too strong. Uh, and I'm like, let's just go back. We were having lunch. I'm like, let's just go back to the factory and roll a couple of these. And, and you'll see what I'm talking about. They still were not convinced. They're like, it's too strong. Like, no one's going to smoke this. And uh, and then the same thing in the, in the next line, which was the Sun Country, they told me the same thing. I was an idiot. I was going to be out of business. It would never sell. And, it, and then they added it was blasphemous to put a full-bodied pour in a mild wrapper. And, and so it but, but after that one, because that's our top seller now, now not only is everyone on the factory floor smoking those sun countries because they're just <laughs> delicious, but they're also listening to me to the point now where the where now the blender is coming to me with ideas. So it's this great collaboration where they're kind of understanding what the customers here are buying and what they want, and now they're excited. So the master blender is the owner of the factory, and he, I mean, he comes up with stuff now that isn't my idea like this this intimidator that's coming out i didn't blend this so so i don't i don't claim to blend everything in my line but there are things that i you know was personally involved in convincing them that hey i think this will sell uh but the intimidator this is all this is mostly first generation cuban seed 
the Creo U98 hybrid grown on that farm, that 40 hectare farm in the DR three years ago. And I didn't convince them to plant that. And I didn't convince them that it was ready to put in cigars, but he handed me one when I was at the factory. Uh, this is over a year ago now, and it was delicious. The only thing I did at that point was I, ha I wanted to test four wrappers on, on that core. And ultimately, and I told them the four wrappers I wanted to test. And I didn't want to come out with another San Andreas wrapper, but the San Andreas wrapper was the only wrapper we had available that would lift it up to where I wanted it to be. So it's a San Andreas wrapper on a largely yeah. Cuban core. Yeah, a lot of times that you you know they, they just you know at the end of the day you're you're the person buying the cigar. It's like hey, just make you know, I I, I did one with Eric Espinoza and he said it was dumb. Because nobody's gonna buy that cigar. It's dumb. He told me that on the phone. It's dumb. And I'm like, just make the cigar. And and he made it. And people liked it. You know. So he's like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, so let's just do do your best. You know. Um, now on all the other cigars, so, you know, before that, the the, the first two, you know, when um. Were you able to, and, and this a question that Karen and I have asked before, were you able to articulate, you know, were there any issues like with the cigar, but, you know, did you have the ability to articulate the change that you wanted? You know, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, you know, you taste the cigar and it's like, I like it, but it's just a little off, you know, but were you able to say, you know, you know, I want it, you know, like this leaf or this tobacco or, I, or is it just like, hey, I want it spicier, less spicier? Yeah, yeah, and, and I think I think the biggest issue we have, honestly, is just communication, just the language barrier. Uh, but, you know, I use a translator app when I need to get really detailed with words to kind of really express what it is I'm trying to say. And there's still some communication issues. Uh, my ex-wife's from Panama. I know all the curse words in Spanish, but I don't know all the cigar terms in Spanish. Um, so it, it's been a little bit of a a communication barrier and, and some of it's just convincing them that hey this is what the american market wants but for the most part like in those first two lines the, the first one i told them what cigars i liked in them and i wanted a medium cigar and yeah. i told them the brands that i liked and i said and i actually brought cigars to him here's what i like and and they created blends that were in that same palette area you know and they were all unique um, yeah Sometimes just a very a very slight variation from each one as you're going through twelve, but all within that core where I wanted to be. And then with the with the bushwhacker, I knew I wanted to use a longer age filler tobacco, um, and so that's the only thing I suggested. And I specifically in the Havana wrapper, I wanted the the core to speak louder than the wrapper, you know, so you could really experience the richness of that longer age. Um, and so that's the only thing I said. And then I told him I wanted to use a different Maduro wrapper, but I really liked the Habano we were using, the Ecuadorian Habano. Um, and, and then they did the rest. So, and, and like I said, now that I've done some American brands now, like when I go to the factory and, and I get there at nine o'clock in the morning, they'll hand me a, a cigar that I normally would not smoke until like the end of the day, like a full body, like you got to try this, you're going to love this. But in the beginning, they were like, it's too strong. You'll never, no one will ever smoke that. It'll never sell. But now they're really excited, so it's kind of cool when I go in, and now they're just like, here, try this, try this, try that. So we're just smoking cigars, and, you know, I'll sit at the rolling table. I, I try to sit at every station in the factory every time I'm there and sit next to the workers, and, you know, I am not a – I can bunch all day long, but I cannot put a wrapper on to save my ass. I'll still do two or three while I'm there, and they'll laugh at me, and, you know, I'll sit down next to the, the ladies that are doing grading and color grading, and there's only two piles for color. And I will literally put it in the wrong pile every single time. Women just have a much finer ability to see differences. 
and and she'll smack my hand and laugh at me. But it's just you know, it's nice. I want them to see that I'm not just this rich American guy who wanted to start a brand. That I'm really passionate about doing it. You know, we go to the farm and we walk the fields and we pick tobacco or we're deadheading the plants and you know, it's just we're hanging tobacco in the in the uh, curing barn. It's just it's fun to me to go down and do that part of it. But I'm I'm not an expert by any means. Yeah, here here you are here talk talking to the tobacco. What's the what's the tobacco <laughs> talent? Is uh this would this would be me at the farm just be like people like what are you looking at? I'm like I just taking a picture, man. That's all I'm doing. Just I I don't I don't know I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I just uh, everyone else takes this picture, so I gotta yeah every, everybody else. It. You know, it's uh um. But how often how often are you uh, are you down at the uh, the farm? How often are you able to get down there? So we're down there. So tobacco in in the DR is really only in the fields for three months out of the year. Uh, they really only grow tobacco for the most part, just from uh, late November to, well, early to late November, depending on what the weather's like, to late January, early February. So it's getting, it's going in the field at about six inches tall, but it really only takes two months to get to full height. You know, so you've got tobacco, you can start picking. So we try to go down late January, early February, so we can actually pick tobacco and hang tobacco in the barn and, you know, work on the farm and walk the fields. Because if you, the other time we go down is in September. And there's potatoes growing, so you know you don't want pictures of you in a potato field. <laughs> I I didn't know that that they uh they only, I thought they would have two uh two planting seasons down there, you know um so they only have just the one, the one planting season. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, and the reason is they're doing crop rotation, so you're you're rotating. A tobacco plant just pulls nitrogen. It's all about the green leaves, and it's all about the top product. The other two crops we're planting are yucca and potatoes, and those are root crops. So they're actually pushing nitrogen back in the soil, and then all the top of those plants were tilling back into the soil. So you're building all this nice, loamy, rich, dark brown soil from all this natural matter that's being tilled back in. And it's also replenishing the nitrogen for the tobacco. So we're not using any artificial fertilizer. <clears throat> it's all crop rotation. There's nothing that's going in there that's effectively, we could call it organic, but you know, I don't want FDA walking my fields and telling me yeah. whether it's organic or not. But, we're not using chemicals. We're, you know, we're using uh, different crop rotation. We're using other plants around the border of the tobacco fields to attract bugs to keep them off the plants. And we're doing a lot of hand maintenance. It's a very labor-intensive process to do it that oh. way. You know, when you do crop rotation, you're keeping the. If you do a flyover of Cuba and you look at the color of the soil, even in the even in the best regions. The color of the soil there versus what's in the Sabao Valley is distinctly different. And that's all just about crop rotation and tilling in that top matter from the crops that you're not using the top. It, it, it's Sabao. Is that how you pronounce that word? I've been pronouncing it wrong all these years. Sabao? That's how I pronounce it. So don't don't uh, <laughs> don't quote me on that. I, I, I pronounce it a couple different ways. So now I'm going to now I'm going to say Sabao. And some Sabao. Of my yeah, yeah, Sabao. See, they can so, take a picture of you, Kevin, in the potato field holding a potato. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's how much I know about tobacco. And be like, look, it's my new it's my new cigar. But like, Kevin, that's a potato. Like, damn it, you know, just you know. Uh, so so being your background in horticulture, that that's probably you know definitely helping you. You know, I say at least you know what's going on, you know, in the soil in in the ground. So yeah, I mean, I knew I was going to be a farmer when I was a kid. I mean, I my dad was a horse trader. He had a business called Marriage in a Carriage. We take people to weddings in a horse and buggy. I worked out the buggy horses. I took I took a horse and buggy to the Friday night football games at my high school. All the chicks 
love my horse more than they loved the, the Mustangs and the Camaros that were parked there. <laughs> Everyone was very jealous. Um, and then I worked on a dairy farm, and then I was in the FFA, and I, I was the uh, number one dairy cow judging champion in four states when I was in wow. high school. So, like, I was going to be a farmer. Like, there was no question. So I went to college for horticulture, and then I needed health insurance, so I started working at a grocery store. And then they're like, you'd be a great store manager. You should go in our management training program. So I did that, and I never turned back, like, never went back to the farm. And then 10 years in grocery, and then I had a kid, didn't want to work weekends, so I went into government contracting and did that for almost 30 years. So, so do you, you ever you ever want to like get like a little you know like a little one acre plot on the farm and like let me just you know let me just do something cool you know on on this little one acre or half acre you ever have aspirations to do that? What I really want to do is uh, there's a friend of mine uh, that has a farm in North Carolina, and it's in an area that used to grow black tobacco, so it's not you know near the shore where you've got all that sandy soil. It's nice, rich, loamy, dark soil. Uh, so I really would like to do something in North Carolina, like do a little test plot and see if I can get some tobacco out of North Carolina that would be decent. And then the other thing, my family, uh, my mom and dad both grew up in central PA. It would be kind of cool to do something in Pennsylvania. That's where I'm from originally. Yeah. Williamsport and Torresville? Uh, Lebanon, kind of the south yeah. central area. Where, where did you go to school for agriculture? Uh, UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Okay. We always we always played uh, Delaware Valley near a big agricultural school outside of Philly. Yeah, and Penn State's great too. I just mm -hmm. to a Maryland school because I was living in Maryland, and yeah. uh, so I was a commuter because I was still working on the farm and I was still you know making money that way. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe one day if you're ever down here in Florida and, and Jeff at uh, um, Corona Cigar, you know, he's got his tobacco farm, you know, in Claremont. You know, it's the only tobacco farm in the state of Florida. You know, if you're ever down here, we'll have to see if maybe we can get Jeff, get you, a, you know, get a little tour of the farm. I love heading over there. Yeah, he, that'd be awesome. he, yeah he's just got, I think, two 10-acre plots. I think he's what he got, and he rotates back and forth. And uh, we were there uh, recently. He was growing uh, uh, in like the first, it was always like the first row of something else. Same thing for like to keep the wind down and keep the bugs away, you know, sunflowers. And um, we he had uh, green peppers, bell peppers the last time. And uh, uh, Jessica and I walked over and we were able to pick a, a fresh bell pepper out of the ground and eat it like an apple. And oh my God, mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was amazing. You know, um, and then he has the, uh, the honey that he does next door is the bees. The bees love the tobacco. You know, so you know, then he yep. buys all the, buys all the honey from uh, from the bee guy uh, next door. So, um, so on your, um, um, are you keeping the majority of your inventory down at the factory? Do you import it all in? What what do you do with that? So I import here to Virginia to a warehouse here, um, and I don't release anything to stores till it's been in country for two months. Uh, so during COVID, we actually. We, we've never had a back order until actually just a month ago. <laughs> I finally had my first back order. Oh, it, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the Robusto on the, on the Avalanche. Well, I wasn't happy because I always used to love saying, yeah. never had a back order with all these other companies. Having <laughs> back order. Never had one. Um, but th that was just a, a production issue. And it was my fault. Like, I misordered, basically. That's not, I don't want to say it's the factory, so it's my fault. Um, but for the most part, because we always have two months of product here, so it's basically it's kind of an as needed or what is, what is the thing they they talk in big business about inventory 
Yeah, it's a um, yeah, it's a uh, not not inventory on demand. Just, it's in, a, just in time. Just, just in time. time. Yeah. Yeah. So so just in time. So we try to keep our inventory as low as we can, um, and we have orders coming in every six weeks. So okay. Six weeks, so my order. So when I place an order, three weeks later I'll be placing another order but but the orders that i'm placing they're not coming in for six months so i'm so i'm constantly every three weeks i'm placing orders just to build up a backlog of what they're making at the factory and then they're they're sending me what's available and we always there's always it's not a negotiation but a conversation about okay here's what i thought i needed six months ago but what i really need is more of this if you've got those so they're they're overproducing you know each of the things i'm telling them i need so if i really need a little more of this because it's selling more six months down the line or a year down the line it depends on the cigar too, because some of our, like our Avalanche, it's only in the aging room for two and a half to three months at the most. It's not in there that long. The Midnight Bender, on the other hand, is in the aging room for at least nine months. It just takes a little bit longer for the humidity to settle across the different tobaccos being used in that blend. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it just depends on which line it is, how, how far in advance I need to think of what's gonna happen, which is also part of the reason for the slow growth. You know. Just making sure I'm not picking up more shops than what I've already ordered in advance for. So it's a it's a whole mind game. That's probably the most complicated thing is just making sure you've got product. You know, and and you, and you said something that um, I, I think a lot of people watching tonight, listening to the podcast in the future, um, should appreciate what what Greg just said that 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 cigar is in the the aging room for nine months. Yeah. That's on un, that's unheard of. Like that that doesn't happen. You know, like it's it's 60 days at the most, you know, maybe 90 days, you know, and uh, and and manufacturing, you know, brand owners, you know, they, they want their cigars. Just send them to me and I'm, I'm going to push them out. So for you to to realize that that cigar needs that extra time, you know, that just says a lot about you, your brand and where you mm-hmm. want it to, to go, because like I said, that's like that doesn't happen. Like there's nobody keeping their cigars for nine months. Like it, it's it's rare. So that, that definitely says that. a lot. I appreciate so I hope- that. Yeah, it, it, but, but for me, it was more about burnability and construction. So, and, and keep in mind, there's no real humidity control in the factory aging room. You know, it's whatever's happening. You know, I mean, yeah. there's, there's a door on it, but there's not a humidifier, and there doesn't have to be because the, the ambient humidity down there is <laughs> you know, 75 to 85 percent all the time. And then I realized when I got them here, so I'm a low 60s humidity smoker. And so I bring them here and I put them, our, our warehouse here, the humidity is 63. So even though that doesn't necessarily get to the cigars in the box, at least it's bringing the box humidity down a little bit. So by, by, in two months, by the time they get to the store and they open that box, it'll be a lot quicker for everything to kind of acclimate to that lower humidity that I'm going for. So it's just, for me, it's just, I've just been following it and I kind of understand which, which blends require a little more time to get there. Um, but that two month window has always been my thing. You know, you don't, and I've had some shops, you know, a little annoyed that I wouldn't send them something for another week because it hadn't gotten to the two month mark, but that's my mark. You're just not going to get them. That, that's it. You, you know, right. just don't, yeah, don't ever, you know, um, compromise, you know, and, and just, if it takes longer, it takes longer. And, and I wish, I mean, Karen, I, you know, you heard at the beginning of the show, you know, our, our cigars were in the low sixties and I, I think it's getting more and more known that, 70% is too high for cigars. There are still cigar smokers that still like their cigars at 70%. And there are some cigars that smoke well at 70% that don't smoke well at 60, but it's few and far between. Yeah. 
Um, you know, and, and like I said, with the Cigar Medics Humidimeter, you know, I've been using it for years. Care has one. When people get that, you know, then, you know, like, oh, hey, you know, I'm having issues with my cigars. You know, I get those messages. You know, they're only at like 60 percent. You know, how do I get them up to 70 percent? Like smoke them, smoke them, you know. To. You, you don't need to get them up to to seventy percent. I'll, I'll smoke cigars at fifty eight percent, fifty nine. You know, I prefer that sixty to sixty two, sixty four. You know, but um, at fifty eight, fifty nine percent, there is nothing wrong with the cigar, and it smokes beautifully. Well, if you have a cigar, so smaller brands specifically, most boutique brands are putting more tobacco in their cigars. You know, because we're not trying to save two cents per stick by putting in less tobacco. Yeah. So the cigars aren't spongy; they're nice and firm. But if you go with too high of a humidity when you got that much tobacco in there, you're going to create burnability issues. You're going to create plugs that weren't that wouldn't be there at a lower humidity. Mm-hmm. That's why that's another reason I'm trying to bring that humidity down is really just to create some room for the airflow. And once the leaves expand with the humidity, you're not allowing the air to flow freely. So for me, that's critical because we're using more tobacco and with, with boutique brands, same thing. A lot of the, and not not every legacy brand is putting less tobacco, but a lot of the legacy brands are just putting just like a little bit less because if you're producing 10 million cigars, you can save a penny. That's real. Yeah, that, that is. That was like years ago. It was the, uh, the uh, business article I read. It was like the, the whatever famous olive company. They put less one less olive in the jars and it saved the company like $20 million by using <laughs> one less olive. But like you said, when you're rolling, you know, millions of cigars a year millions and millions a penny two pennies mm-hmm. that is that is a, a a lot a lot of money and a strip of tobacco um, goes a long way with that 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 that, that it does I, I know my my neighbor ed i was talking about earlier he was over uh, yesterday uh late afternoon smoking a cigar and he's doing some electrical work for me and the cigar was all jacked up and it was like exploded and i'm like how long you been outside smoking that cigar and he goes man about an hour now you know and it was like 90 percent humidity outside i'm like yeah you need to get your cigars down to like 55 percent. so about halfway through the cigar you know it, it'll be 70 percent. not you know it looked like it was probably 90 percent humidity you know he was holding it like a water sponge. dripping off of it oh it's uh it, it, it was brutal yeah we don't we don't smoke outside you know it's uh when, when it's hot you know mm-hmm. and, and then i had a buddy of mine dan you know he just moved up to um Tennessee area, I think. And he was having cracking problems. He moved in the wintertime. You know, he's used to smoking here in Florida. And uh, he sent me some pictures, three cigars in a row exploded on him. You know, and I'm like, what's your process? He goes, I don't know. Same as Florida. I took it out of the humidor and went outside. I'm like, yeah, but it's 40 outside, you know? <laughs> so he, he battled that forever, you know, trying to figure it out. I'm like, and I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know how to smoke in the wintertime, you know, like like when it's that cold. I go, you got to start asking your neighbors, you know, go to your local brick and mortar, figure out how these guys are, you know, figure out how these guys are smoking their cigars in the wintertime. You know how ice cracks when you put hot water on it? <laughs> you know, it's uh, the inverse. Yeah, same thing. And Connecticut, and Connecticut wrappers being thin and mm-hmm. more fragile, I don't smoke Connecticut's outside in the winter because they'll crack almost every time. Yeah. Almost every, yeah. almost every time. Um, now, now, you had mentioned you're, you're getting ready to do a, uh, um, a a tour. You know, going to do some uh, um, some, some lounges. Uh, are you still? I mean, going out? Do you have any? Do you have a staff? Do you do you have brokers? Do you have a sales? Like, how are you getting? Is it still just you? Hit pound in the pavement. It's really still just me. I mean, I do have uh, Midwest Provisions. It's kind of a my Midwest broker. 
Uh, Raul Ramos is the rep for them that's moving moving around the shops in that area. So this is kind of, they're based out of Minneapolis. So the shops, you know, Minneapolis, Indiana, those states around there. Uh, but really, I'm, other than that, I'm the guy. Like, and I'm, I'm FaceTiming everywhere. So I'm going to uh, Fat Ash in Kentucky, Dwight Atkins. They do a, the old Kentucky Herf every year. It's kind of like a, a cigar festival with about 20 to 30 brands are there every year, a big festival. They've carried me for a couple of years, so I'm doing an event there. So it's about, it's about six hours from here, so I'll leave tomorrow morning to do that event. And then the next day I'm in Nashville at uh, Smoker's Abbey for a Wednesday night event. And then Smoker's Abbey has another location that's about 40 minutes north of town. I'm doing them. That's in Gallatin, and that's another Smoker's Abbey in Gallatin on Friday night. And then on Saturday, I have an event in Jasper at our first shop in Alabama at Cigar Box Jasper. And they have two locations, one in Colm and one in Jasper. We're just doing the event in Jasper. But that's me just, you know, hitting the road. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, 120 nights in, in Marriott hotel rooms last year. I'll probably hit the same thing this year. And it's and I always stay in Marriott if I can. So it's, it's, it's 120 plus some nights in other hotels, you know, depending on where I am, what's closest and where I can get a room. So it's probably averaging like 140 to 150 nights a year for two and a half years. It's been busy. That might Man, be why you... I have an ex-wife. Oh, you have, you have an ex-wife? Yeah, now, I now have one. I didn't, I didn't start with one, but I okay. think the, the travel is probably not the easiest thing. It, it it's not it, it it can't be i i know i know it's tough you know uh uh to for for families you know um and yeah it's just uh, uh it, it's never never that great you know especially especially like when you're brought out friends that are brokers you know that are on the road for i mean obviously you know brokers are forever and uh, most of them are single you know uh not not, not a lot of brokers i know are uh, are, are, are married you know it's uh it's definitely not conducive to a to to a great family environment um Go, going back now, you know, um, what, what are uh, you know, I know we talked about, you know, like, like you, you had said that uh, you, you wouldn't have got your importer license. Um, any, anything else that, that you would have that you would have changed, you know, at, at the beginning? Um, what, you know, did you know what was the and then the, uh, and then the factory? Was that the only one that was the first one you went to? You know, you're still with it. Would you have wanted to go around to other factories and see what they offered or? So I, I did visit other factories, and, and actually every time I go to the DR, I visit another factory. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. And I do that not because I, would, I don't think I would ever stop using my current factory because I love the consistency and I love what we're doing there, but they're not in a tax-free zone. There is some money to be saved going to a tax-zone oh, uh, factory. Mm-hmm. So I'm paying 20% tariff on my wrapper tobacco. My core tobacco, no, because it's grown there, but all the wrappers we use are not from the DR. So that's, you know, I could save some money, but I really go to other factories just to see what they're doing, how they're operating, how they're making the magic happen. I went to uh, Eladio Diaz's factory, TDC, which he just built after, uh, you know, the, the separation from Davidoff. Yeah. And, and they're doing some stuff there that's really cool, like really unique ways that they're, they've set up their rolling tables and their presses, something I'd never seen before. So every time I go, like I see something else, and I take it back to the factory. Like we could save, you know, you could save your rollers three seconds of cigar. And at the end of the day, since they're being paid by the stick, they can make more money. You know, it, but you learn something every time. So I will. So next step is pick a factory that's in the tax-free zone in the DR. And then the next phase is pick a factory in Nicaragua to get some Nicaraguan cigars produced and in the line. But that 
Nicaragua probably is three years out, and another factory in the DR is probably a year out at least. Um, my factory is continuing to do great stuff. I don't want to, I don't want to muddy those waters because they're no. just producing product that people love. Yeah, yeah, it, it is always nice to have a second factory, though. You know that you know, yeah. and, and there's so many great factories. I didn't know you were uh, you weren't in the free zone. You know that does uh, that does add you know you know not quite a bit, but like I said, it's it adds it adds money. It adds you know when you're talking about you know you you know you said you had twenty thousand bands. You know I mean, you're talking about that extra cost per per band for what's going to go in a cigar. Yeah. You know that's quite a bit of you know quite a bit of money. You might might actually that's make up. some. Yeah, might actually make some profit. Um, so, yeah, you know, have, have you have you been over to see Ram uh, Artista? No, I have not. Have not been there. So great, 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 great factory. He's a he's a super super cool dude. grows grows his own tobacco as well. Yeah, and yeah, and like I said, I would love to do a trip to Nicaragua. Right now, just would be because I'm doing two trips to the DR each year. I'm the face of the company. I'm traveling all the time. It's just. I'm constantly somewhere else, you know, and I've just got to, I've got to figure out to get some stuff off my plate and then I can do a lot more of the, you know, hitting Nicaragua, hitting some other factories. I do like TDC. I think they're doing some really good stuff with uh, some brands that I know the owners of. So I'm happy with, with that production there. Um, and of course, having a cigar by Eladio Diaz immediately puts you on the map. Yeah. So it, it, that would be great. I honestly think that, you know, I'd love to work with Eric Espinosa. I think he's doing some great stuff, and he's a great guy. He gave me some just spot-on advice. He, he doesn't spit anything that's not exactly what he's thinking. Like, he doesn't mince words. Uh, he's, he has smoked my cigars. He's given me his honest impressions. And so I'd love to do something with him if it was a possibility. And, and uh, honestly, Aladino. Uh, yeah, what, yeah. King, Kings of Corojo. Corojo. Oh. Their, their Corojo is just... I wanted to do a Corojo wrapper. I just don't have access to the quality that they have. They're growing it, and they're and it's very unique that they're growing Corojo um, in Nicaragua. I, I would love to do something with them. Yeah, yeah, I, I've heard uh, uh, Brandon were saying the same thing. Oh, you know, I want to do a Corojo, and I'm like, oh, you're gonna go with Aladino? Like, ah, I don't know. I go, it's gonna suck then. Yeah, um, it, it, you know, but uh, yeah, you know, and, and it does, they, they, there are there is great Corojo out there. But yeah, if you're gonna do a Corojo, yeah, you know, you know it's just like right. if you're gonna do a Corojo, you go with Aladino. If you're gonna do a Candela, you go with Oliva Tobacco. You know, there are just some some families, you know, that you just you just pick. When you want to use that tobacco, you go with the people that have been. You know that that are the patriarchs of that of that tobacco. You know, um, yeah. So, so I mentioned well, Candela. What's your? You know, Karen and I are huge fans. What's your uh, on the Candela? Your thoughts? I'm I'm not a huge fan. I like it. Uh, I don't think the market's very large for it. Even though it nah, used to be yeah. the biggest part of the market, you know, when back in the day, like everyone smoked Candelas. But it's just it's not something that speaks to me loudly and it's not a big part of the market so right now it's just not something we would do i mean it'd be nice to have a saint patrick's day cigar i guess but yeah and that, that's when that's when the majority of them come out yeah. you know the, the saint patrick's day and and then the majority of them that they're not very good you know uh you know pe- people that you know people that love candela tobacco they make great candela cigars you know and then a lot of them that you know i'm not saying you would release one that that wasn't good you know, but you see a lot of the ones that come out with St. Patrick's Day. It's a one and done, and they're just not—they're just not that great. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like I—I I thought I didn't like rye whiskey, but it turns out I was just drinking cheap rye whiskey. <laughs> and, yeah, and it I, turns out I really love rye whiskey. It's just got to be 
It's got to be good rye whiskey. So it's the same thing. Yeah, if you're if you're making cheap Candela cigars and that's all the only ones I've smoked, maybe I just have, maybe I have a flawed impression based on the ones that I'm picking. Yeah, you know, and it could just be just not in your wheelhouse. You know, that I mean, that's just just what what it is. You know, and it's, if it's if it's not in your wheelhouse and you're not digging it, there's absolutely no reason to to make one because, like you said, the market is so small and it's it's yeah. never for as much as Care and I promote the can. I mean we're not going to bring the candela cigar back in they, they haven't been able to influence and it's not catching on quite yeah yet. it's, no it's how many pictures of hogan's heroes i post them smoking candela cigars. <laughs> that, 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 that's still, it it's still so uh, um you were at pca this year this was this was your first um was this your first trip period to pca or have you been before as a spectator so I've been a spectator at TPE before and never done the show, but I was never a spectator at PCA and I did the show. So I did the show as part of the BCA Pavilion, first time I've had it, um, and it was wonderful. Like, I mean, I thought it was the best experience ever. I, I got new customers. A lot of people said your first PCA, you won't make enough money to cover your travel costs plus the booth and everything, and I actually sold more than more value in product than what it cost me, including travel and food and everything. Wow. And I almost sold enough that the gross profit covered the trip. So I did really well um, being in government contracting and I was really on the recruiting side. So I did a lot of career fairs. I, I knew how to work a booth. I knew how to get out there and draw people in. So I just used the tools that I learned in that side of the business and I just brought people in. And then anyone I talked to, I referred them to three other people in the boutique pavilion. You know, it doesn't matter who you bring in. You don't have to bring in me. But just bring in one boutique, you know, introduce your shop to someone new from this group. And so I was able to kind of push people back. And it was three different companies each time. So everyone got exposure from me just sending people in. So I think we all worked really well together. Uh, the BCA has been a great educational resource for me. We do Zoom calls once a month with experts on. The last one was trademark. I already had my expensive uh, education in that. But, uh, you know, we have marketing experts to come in. So it's very helpful uh, they did. A, they did a lot of good advertising. They didn't get the booth location until kind of the last minute, but we've already got our big pavilion for next year, which will be bigger than it was this year. Um, and I met a lot of new customers. I got orders from old customers. It was it was great. Really enjoyed it. I, I didn't hang out at, at the bar in uh, the Palazzo where everyone kind of hung out. Yeah. My hotel, which was at Harrah's across the street, because it was $24 a night versus $200 a night. <laughs> I did have to walk through 110-degree weather to get there, but it was really a five-minute walk outside, well worth the 25 bucks a night. I'm trying to make a profit here. And uh, so I didn't hang out with all the kind of after-hour stuff, which was good, too, because I was well-rested, went back on the floor, um, had a nice booth set up that they did for us. All of, I didn't have to worry about anything. I just paid a flat price. Everything was set up. I just had to bring in product, and I had a great experience. Now, um, you don't you don't have to give us a, a price. You know, I, I know you know we hear these manufacturers even on a small booth. You know, they're eighty grand, a hundred grand for for a small booth. Like, what was it for? Like, uh, just a, a small piece here, the the BCA, you know, the boutique. Are we sub sub ten thousand? Are we sub twenty five? You know, you don't have to give exact numbers. Yeah, we're we're sub ten thousand. Okay. And it included, so, you know, so a, a 10 by 10 booth is 2,500 at PCA. Okay. And then you got to get, if you want to get furniture, you got to pay to have people bring it in there. Then you got to buy the furniture. If you want carpet, that's extra. If you want electricity, that's extra. So I've heard horror stories where people get a 10 by 10 booth and it costs them 15 grand by the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm so I was sub ten grand, and in all honesty, that included the furniture. It was a really nice five by, I think five by two or six by two, and it had like a desk space, and then it had this glass shelf unit. It included the electricity, of course, all the carpet was there. It included the trash cans and the cleaning, and then I had a table, had a high top with a couple chairs around it behind that, and the space that I commanded was really like ten by twenty. It was huge, like I had a lot. There was. I didn't feel like I was crowded at all, um, and for that price point, I I just could not do it. And the and that included my PCA membership dues, and it was still in the sub ten thousand range. Oh wow! Yeah. So wow. I, and I hadn't done it the year before because it was I'd heard so many horror stories about how expensive it was. Yeah. A horror story from a, I won't tell you who it was, but somebody brought in a great gift for all of his existing retailers, and it was a big backpack. And he, the backpacks didn't get shipped early enough that he could get them shipped right to the floor. So he had to pay to have the union bring in the backpacks. And in the end, the, to get them to carry in these boxes of backpacks cost more than the backpacks cost. So, oh, God. Yeah, so you hear of these, and I, I had heard multiple, This that was this year that that happened, but I had heard from previous years, I heard from... Uh, I was talking to the guy from uh, another boutique brand, might have, might have been Founders, and he said, "Yeah, he's like, make sure you've got fifteen grand on a credit card because if you're having anybody carrying anything in, it's just gonna be crazy." So, <laughs> I, I'm glad I didn't have to deal with any of that. I brought in, you know, I hauled in a suitcase. The old man that travels with me, Ed, hauled in a suitcase. We set up in fifteen minutes because the booth was there. We had electric. We had everything we needed. And then we had at the bottom of the, the display was lockable and we had a key for it. So you lock all your stuff in there. You just show up the next morning, put your boxes out and you're done. Nice. That's perfect. I know, you know, I was talking with Sokka and, um, and he has said this as well. So it's not like I'm giving away any, anything inside trade secrets, but there, a lot of those manufacturers, they store their booths out there year round. And it's like, so that they pay a monthly fee to have everything stored in like this big warehouse off site from the, uh, from the event, you know, I'm like, good God, you know, I look at some of these booths and I mean, so you, so you're paying year round, you know, so I, I could see how, you know, it could get up yeah. to a hundred grand really quickly. And then it's like, man, you got to make that money back. Yeah. It, it's insane. I mean, it's, you, I saw some booths there that were hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, the La Aurora booth was 35. Ah. It was unbelievable. The Fuente booth, of course, just blown out with separate like office squares with roofs and everything and doors and uh, and unbelievable. Rocky Patel's didn't have as much uh, like big stuff, but it was so open and so big with just like lounge areas and display cases, just really well done. You could see through the whole thing, didn't block anybody. And that's another thing we were very fortunate with. We didn't get a 10 by 10 where we were kind of stuck in a corner behind a big booth where we got lost. We were actually part of this kind of big group. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at Jeremy McDonald uh, brought a uh, like a little trailer. You know, you had uh, J.C. Newman with their El Relo factory, you know, in the middle. I'm like, good God. You know, that, that that's insane. Now, now you're talking about uh, uh, next year. <laughs> uh, the, the BCA, the BCA is going to have a bigger. Are they are they going to bring in more more companies next year? Yeah, there'll be more of us. So they they limited it. Uh, I think there were sixteen of us in there 
and because that's what they had negotiated. Um, but next year it'll be over twenty. Yeah, because I, I was I was looking at like and it looked like there was a lot of space between everybody, which is good because you don't like you said you don't want to be on top of everybody. But I'm looking at them like, man, they could have fit like six, seven more, you know, booths inside, you know, inside there. So, yeah, they definitely could have gotten a few more. I mean, I I was very fortunate. I I was right on an, an aisle, went to the snack bars in the back. Yeah. Our, our actual pavilion location wasn't perfect, but it's because we got it so late. You know, the whole floor was already mapped out. So we were kind of in the back and we didn't see anyone on the first day. Everyone was already going to their appointments with the big legacy brand, you know, the yeah. When getting that stuff done. So we saw a lot of people in the second, third, and then the last half day we saw a few. But everyone that, you know, wanted to go to the the snack bar, I just grabbed them. I mean, I'm not afraid to if you if you're wearing a name tag and it says Billy Bob on it, I don't care what it says, I'm gonna be, hey Billy Bob, good seeing you. <laughs> I don't know who Billy Bob is, but you know, that's just what you do. You just pull them in. Yeah. See, the key would be to have snacks and be like, hey, you're going over there to buy some snacks, you want some free snacks? Come on over here. You know, some uh, uh, some some chips and a soda. He's got to buy a box of cigars. Um, so um, I only have a, I, I can't. I just look up with the. I cannot believe it's been almost two hours. It seems oh, like we yeah. just started five minutes ago. Um, I only have one one more question tonight. Like a two part question though. Are you still having fun doing this? And then on top of that, what do you do for fun? So so is a cigar? Are you are you know is is this still fun? It is. It's still fun. I apologize. I'm pouring a little whiskey. It's it's still fun. You know, the paperwork's out. I'm going to get that off my plate. Um, I, I love the people side of the business. I mean, watching my dad sell horses for 30 years, um, that's a relationship business. You know, he never put someone on a horse that he knew they couldn't ride. Like, it was all about understanding your customer, getting to know them, and giving them something that's going to add value it's kind of a sim creating a symbiotic relationship, but also something that doesn't go away. Like you don't screw somebody and in recruiting. I did the same thing. I would put someone on a job that I knew they were going to be successful in and happy and they'd stay there forever. And that's kind of the model that I put, you know, in this business. I don't want to be in a shop that doesn't want to carry me. I want to be in places where they're excited about boutiques and where, you know, they like the brand and the people that are working the counter love the brand. Uh, so it's just, for me, it's a dream. You know, this trip, people would probably look at this and think it's insane. You know, it's 1,200 miles, seven days, on the road, different hotel every night. But, you know, it's fun to me. I love meeting customers. I love, you know, having that interaction with the customers, with the shop owners. And there's a lot of great shop owners out there. It's just, you know, hitting the road. Joshua Stump, who owns the Smokers Abbey's in Nashville, uh, used to be a preacher. I think he still might preach a little bit, but... He's just a great guy, just a great personality. Dwight at Fat Ash, fantastic. Sean and Patty Doss at uh, Cigar Box. I'm looking forward just to seeing them. And then also the customers that are, that follow the brand, just seeing them, having conversations, you know, it's just, to me, that's that's the best part. I'm doing exactly what I would want to do on my vacation, which is go in a cigar lounge and smoke a cigar. And so what do I do for fun? I love to travel. I love to go to a place I've never been and eat food I've never eaten. I am the opposite. I want to go to some place I've been before <laughs> and have, and, and I'll change it up and I'll have chicken tenders in a different state. Um, that's uh, that that that's me. <laughs> so perfect care. Any uh, any any final uh, uh, questions comments for our uh, for Greg tonight? No, I think you hit all of it. Uh, appreciate you coming on and and the cigars and that. 
at the Habana was fantastic. Nice spice. It was smooth. I like the silky wrapper. It was really a uh, fantastic cigar. Awesome. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I love being on here. Thanks so much for getting me on the show. You know, it's great to be a part of it. It, it gives me great exposure, and I really appreciate that. Um, but also just hanging out with you guys, smoking cigars tonight. It's been fun. It, it's been a blast. These, these yeah. are these are some of my favorite shows when uh, we just uh, get to learn something cool about somebody that we've never that we've never met before and just chilling out. You know, like I said I can't believe it's been two hours already. It's just been a, a, a hell of a night. So I definitely appreciate it. Um, and uh, we're going to pull you down in the uh, the green room if you want to hang out for five minutes, and then we'll, we'll pull you back up at the end of the show and we'll chat for a few minutes. Awesome. Sounds uh, great. And then and anybody wants to find uh, Fortaleza y Libre Cigars. All the social media links are in the, uh, the video description below. If you're listening to this on the podcast in the, in, in the future, it's in the podcast description as well. Um, Greg, uh, thank you for coming on, and uh, we'll, we'll see you back here in a few, couple minutes. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Take care. Uh, you too. All right, everybody start typing in the word uh, cigar, and then for the uh, Amendola uh, Tapping Ash and Taking Names giveaway. In the meantime, we'll hear a word from our sponsor, Corona Cigar. It is, uh, like I said, it is time for the Tapping Ash and Taking Names giveaway presented by Amendola Family Cigars. All right. Let me uh, let me share my let me just check the comments here. Just make sure it looks like they've just uh, stopped coming in. So let's uh, let's share my my screen tonight. All righty. And then. um. Oh, here we go. All right. All right. Got it. There we go. All right. Round and round she goes. JJ Jambalaya is the only person that cannot win tonight. He won last week. Sorry, JJ. Mike Strasberg. Mike, send me uh, an email, Kevin at cigarprop.com. Congratulations. And we'll send you your prize pack out. Uh, we have uh, um, Greg was uh, was kind enough to send us some uh, uh, some cigars. So we've got uh, um, this great little box that we're going to be giving away. It's got a cutter, a lighter, some cigars. And then we also got a couple cigars from one of our sponsors, uh, Amendola Family Cigars. So you're going to get a couple of those um, as well. Uh, next week, we welcome uh, Jack Heyer, uh, formerly of Drew Estate, now with uh, Camacho Cigars. I haven't talked to Jack in probably a year now, so I'm super excited to see uh, what he's doing over at Camacho. I'm not 100% what his role is um, over there, so we'll be (laughs) talking to our our old friend Jack. Um, Make sure you're following Cigar Prop producer Jessica, Cara Viajante, um, Greg with uh, uh, um, FYL Cigars. All the social media links are in the the show notes down below. Um, Also in the show notes are the social media links for uh, for all of our wonderful uh, partners. Uh, once again, thank you to J.C. Newman Cigars, Cigar Medics, Amendola Cigars, We Are the Muscle, Jake Wyatt Cigars, Illusione Cigars, Deep in Flavor, Deep in Your Mind, K by Karen Burger Cigars, Corona Cigar, and of course, Drew Estate. 
and experience acid. What good timing uh, up on the screen behind me. Care, leave our uh, leave our viewers with some uh, with some final thoughts for tonight. Well, like I always say, you know, life is short, and I we've kind of experienced uh, some situations over the last couple of days. So, um, enjoy the company that you're with, and uh, appreciate the people who are around you, and enjoy a great cigar with your loved ones. Perfect. And, uh, and I just want to add, thank you everybody for your, for your support over the last couple of days. Uh, yeah. your, your kind words have, uh, have definitely meant uh, a lot to us. Yes, so uh, we'll see, we'll see everybody next week with, uh, with Jack Hire.